hello and welcome to the queer experience. My name is Eric. I use the pronouns. And today, today's like a super special day. I have been so fucking jazzed about this episode for probably like three or four weeks now. I do say that about a lot of episodes, but I promise it's extra uh, true this time. Um, probably because we're running a game today called Our Traveling Home. And not only are we running a game uh, with an entire panel of trans and non-binary folks, we're also running a game with the game's creator with us. And so that's super exciting. And I know we said we were going to do intros starting in a certain order, but I realize you're the last and that feels wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> I will I will start with uh, the person helping us facilitate and run the game. Um, I, I've been super pumped. So Ash, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. Um, my name is Ash Kreider. Um, this is my game. Uh, I've also, uh, you know, designed several other uh, tabletop um, and uh, LARP uh, role-playing games uh, like uh, The Watch and The Straits Are Not Okay. Um, and uh, looking, my pronouns are they, them, and looking forward to playing this with y'all. And which pl- which playbook were you playing with us right, today? Right, sorry. I am playing the child. Awesome. As you probably preface that this game is also uh, takes inspiration from Howl's Moving Castle, for people who want a nice reference point, which I did not do my homework that I gave myself of watching the movie before, and I know everyone said that it was fine, but I still just wanted to. That was all. Um, I've also never seen it, if it makes you feel better. What? Amazing. What is going I grew on? Up under a Jesus-shaped rock, and so I'm still catching up on pop culture to this day. Most of my playtest group also had not seen it, uh, but we had a lot of fun watching it after. So maybe amazing, yeah. Oh, that, oh I'm definitely it's definitely on the docket of coming up. But I had to get through horror movies because October. Um, all right, now we will kick it over to the to the order that I said before, <laughs> and I'm going to turn it over to longstanding guest and friend of the pod, Dakota. Hi, everyone. I am Dakota or Vision. I use they, she pronouns, and I will be playing the Cursed playbook today. And again, I'm Eric, he, they pronouns, and I am playing the Wizard, uh, who will also be using they, them pronouns. Uh, And I'm Jason. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I will be playing the Monster, and my character uses it, its pronouns. Uh, my name is MT. I use he, they pronouns. I will be playing the demon who I suppose if you must use mortal pronouns will take any. That's such a good intro to a character. If you must use a mortal <laughs> pronoun. All right. Well, then I am going to I'm going to do the thing that I don't get to do very often. I'm going to hand the reins of this adventure over to Ash and I, I'm going to let you do your thing. Uh, yeah, great. So, um, you know, as Eric mentioned in the intro, uh, Our Traveling Home is um, a GMless game for uh, four to five players. Uh, it is my love letter to Howl's Moving Castle, um, and it is extremely gay. Um, just a note about the structure of play. Um, this game happens over the course of a number of mini games, and these mini games are pretty rules light. Um, a lot of it is just uh, reading through prompts and answering questions. Um, each mini game is only played once. Um, while we're playing, each playbook 
um, includes a list of marks that are basically um, character moments that every player should be aiming to accomplish in play. Um, marks are both goals for players to shoot for and uh, guidance for what will create the best story. Um, you don't have to hit everyone, although each character has a starred mark for each act that they are required to hit. Um, and in general, um, you know, uh, the game is guaranteed to have a happy ending, but it will have a better ending if you hit your marks. Um, at the end of a scene, um, when we're done playing, uh, we'll just kind of go through and say, hey, here's a mark I hit. And then we'll um, uh, share a positive lesson that we learned from the interaction in that scene. So um, a lot of this game is focused on, you know, making, learning not to make the same mistakes that you've been making and, and learning healthier habits of relating to each other. Um, so with that said, um, we're going to go ahead and dive into relationship creation. But before we do that, um, we need to introduce our characters to one another. So there is, um, unfortunately, we are not in the order uh, that the playbooks are, but there is a set order of playbooks. So um, starting with the wizard, um, if we're just going to go through and um, introduce our characters, uh, name, uh, the options you chose for look, um, and your detail. Um, so like I said, I am playing the wizard. Uh, my name is Pyre. Uh, who uses they, them pronouns. My gender is irrelevant. My eyes are sharp. Uh, my body is graceful. My clothing is flamboyant. Um, and I, so my pact is that when I overexert myself, um, oh wait, let me read it from the actual playbook first, what the thing said. So the pact is the mark of my de demonic pact is subtle, but when I overexert my powers, it transforms me dramatically. What is my mark and how does it change you? And why am I running out of time before I lose my humanity completely? And I said that when I overexert myself, my entire body starts to glow in cryptic tattoos that are actually the contract that I made with the demon, but they're written in a magical language that only the demon and I are able to read. Um, and the more that I overexert, the more that they are permanently etched into my skin. Um, and like visible to people. So I like the idea of like, as I continue to do this, it becomes more and more apparent that I'm slowly being taken over. Uh, I'm running out of time because uh, the more, well, it, I'm running out of time because the contract keeps taking over my whole body. Uh, that was what I wrote down. So that is, that is the wizard. Hire the wizard. Awesome. On to the cursed. Uh, so I am playing the curse, uh, named Asha, um, who uses they, she pronouns. Asha's gender is non-binary. Um, they have sad eyes, um, and they have been cursed with a hybrid armadillo person body which includes an armadillo shell, armadillo claws, and some of that sort of like fun, furry, whiskery hairs that armadillos get. Um, their voice is uh, kind of growly, animalistic, but, but still human. Um, uh, they grew up 
am working in their family's uh, bakery, making uh, sweets uh, and uh, pastries uh, in the back, but never really coming out front, um, and left their family behind once they were cursed. Um, uh, and when she is, um, when uh, she shows self-confidence and conviction, um, elements of the armadillo uh, body start to soften and change back into humans, specifically the armadillo claws become more finger-like. Um, awesome. So uh, I went out of order and that's fine. It's not like it's my game or anything. Um, <laughs> That does that does remind me though. Uh, there are um, this is not a game about body horror, but thematically because it is a game about transness, body horror can be a thing. And I would like to just ask that it not. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, that's not a thing that I enjoy. So, <laughs> um, great. So moving on to uh, the demon. Uh, so I am playing the demon whose name is Vessia. Then again, if you must use pronouns, I suppose, go for it. Um, gender is beyond mortal ken. Um, they are, uh, I am imagining them as a wind elemental. So they have a body of wind, something who's got some ability to change shape and form according to mood. Something of, something decidedly inhuman, a being of like winds and angles, kind of slow and breezy when they're calm and, and a lot faster and more intense if they're upset or angry. Um, has a voice sort of like wind chimes. Um, uh, shifting eyes of kind of stormy grays and blues. Um, and they have made a pact with the wizard, are bound to the home and cannot leave. Um, and the pact prevents Vesia from intentionally doing harm to the members of the household and from lying to the wizard. Awesome. Um, okay, so moving on to the monster. So uh, my monster's name is Mort. Uh, it uses it, its pronouns. Its gender is just a little guy because who doesn't love just a little guy? Uh, it's very skeletal in nature, long, lanky, uh, hollow eyes, very dirty, uh, its clothes are just nasty, muddy, yellowed, uh, spends a lot of time in the bogs and the swamps because it was once a powerful bog witch that lured gullible prey to its hut as a way to make unbreakable deals for their most prized belongings. Its wealth fueled the influence it held over the bog, but too many lies have a way of coming around to bite you in the ass, and a fellow witch began to spread rumors of similar deals being held as a way to entice Mort to investigate. And curiosity drew it to its rival like a moth to the flame, and soon it was captured, and in order to secure release, Mort was required to relinquish its powers and its tongue, dyed silver from the essence of riches it had amassed, and when Mort was finally released, it had no more powers, and it was just a wandering creature in the shadows, verbally silent from its missing tongue, but telepathically prepared to beg for forgiveness. Awesome. Um, and then over to me. So I am the child. 
Um, my name is Kellis. Um, my gender is uh, ew, no thanks. Um, pronouns, if you have to, uh, he, they, or uh, whatever neo pronouns you feel like. Um, they have curious eyes, uh, a gangly body, and they wear a combination of like normal clothing and magical clothing because they steal clothes from Pyre sometimes, but always mix and match them strangely. Um, so um, Kellis is 11 and has been living with the wizard for maybe three years, but has only been learning magic for a little more than a year. Um, they show an affinity for cantrips and elemental magic. Um, however, they are hopeless at spells that require any degree of preparation. So that is our cast of characters. Now, heading back to the top of the order, um, before we get into answering relationship questions, I'm going to preface by saying uh, some of these questions are weird. Um, so I encourage folks to um, go with the obvious answer rather than spending a lot of time trying to think of, you know, like a cool answer or anything like that. Uh, the dynamic the table will take care of making everything cool. Um, so just uh, go with your gut uh, on these. So starting with the wizard, um, this first question is actually a character, uh, a question for you and the demon uh, to discuss. So the wizard's half of the question is, how did you enter your pact with your demon and why? Um, what are the terms of the pact? What will it take to end it? And why is ending the pact currently out of reach? The demon's half is that the demon would never admit it, but when the wizard found them, uh, they were weak and needed the pact to survive. So how did making the pact save your life? Um, I have a little bit of an idea on my end, so I can start, Eric. Go for it. Yeah. Um, I think my demon perhaps escaped or had to escape the place they came from or the realm they came from and came to Earth. But at the point they met the wizard, they were very weak and low on power and needed something to tether them here to stay here and not end up back somewhere where they were in even more danger. I like that. And so and the I... wizard became the anchor to give enough power to stay. Yeah, and I think uh, for Pyre, I think it was... I don't want to say like I don't want to say like power hungry, but just like there's there was more power there to have this pact, to have this connection, and and also I think to help, right? Like I'm, I want to, I don't, I, I saw someone in need, and if there was a way to enter into a pact that helped you, that feels like a a good move to make. I feel uh, like I would be trying to conceal that I needed the help, but I feel like making that deal might might have revealed some of that yeah i can see that and maybe it's like the unspoken thing we're like i know you needed the help you know that i know you needed the help but we just don't say that you that any of us are acknowledging it but for pyre this was also like a win-win situation where it's like oh i get to help someone and be more powerful oh 100 <laughs> percent. good motives are not entirely uh pure and honorable but if I got to help someone along the way, you know, that's cool. Great. 
So then what spins did we put on it? Well, I clearly we put the, the, which I do think it's fun that your part of your thing is that you cannot lie to me. Mm -hmm. It just feels like making a deal with the demon 101. You don't let him lie to you. And it feels like a fun thing to play with as a player too. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Um, So I think otherwise the terms of our pact I mean I think I feel like some of it's kind of already outlined right like you're you're kind of tethered to the home uh you can't lie to me and and I get to keep tapping into the power that you that you give me mm-hmm. um I did so, put in there's oh, a clause around like not harming members of the household but yeah, like yeah, yeah the other thing to answer is um Something about the pact is causing this situation for Pyre where mm. um, they are slowly losing their humanity, yeah. um, but are also unable to break the pact. So why is that happening? I think it's, I think it's the magic coming from somewhere else, right? Like it's, I wanted to tap into this cool power, this cool magic. But I'm not, like, my body isn't designed for it. Like, it's coming from somewhere else. And so that's the, that's where that, like, the etching of the contract on my literal body being like, this is some from somewhere else and not meant for you. Maybe something about the condition is about me having enough strength to stand on my own. And that's why you can't get out of it yet, because we made that the contract. Hmm. I like that. So then it's this kind of situation where Vessi can't stand on their own, but at the same time, you're, by being the anchor, you're being slowly sucked into whatever realm they came from. Yeah. Mm. And maybe yeah. part of the push and pull is like me using the, like using the power from them is actually, it's, I'm anchoring you, but it's also keeping you from being able to stand on your own, right? Like, that power coming through you is I'm almost like maybe siphoning just enough of it off that you're like, Oh, only I could. (laughs) I wonder if you're almost trading, like you're siphoning my power and I'm taking some of your humanity that's bonding you to earth. Yeah. It's like, it's like a pseudo, like we're swirling around like mutual Mm -hmm. destruction, but also helping each other at the same time. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Well, but mutual destruction would mean both of us fundamentally change. And, like, the end goal of, like, oh, if you get fully subsumed, I'll become human or something and technically be able to stand on my own. But that also means you go away. Yeah, I like that. I can work with that. Awesome. Cool. Um, so that is the most complex <laughs> relationship <laughs> question. Uh, just because there's a fair amount of setting tied up in these. The rest of these are, are going to be easier. Uh, so the second is also for the wizard. Um, what do you find beautiful about the cursed? And then ask the cursed what they find beautiful about you. I think, I think the the wizard actually find like the kind of the uniqueness of their purse of of their kind of physical presence, <laughs> like the armadillo stuff to them, like that meshing of things together is very beautiful to the wizard. Like it's a there is no one else in the world like you, and I really find that beautiful. Um. Which is also one of those things where, like, Dakota was saying, like, as they get more confident, they're more whatever, like, that shies away a little bit. But the wizard finds beauty in the uniqueness that they that they have. And then 
uh, cursed. What do you find beautiful about moi? <laughs> yeah, uh, Asha really finds uh, Pyre to be just magnetically charismatic and uh, confident. And that sort of like ability to just proudly be oneself to just like put out that like flamboyance and be like yeah this is me like that that's really what she finds um so enthralling about the wizard awesome okay so moving on to the demon uh the demon also only has one other uh, relationship question, which is how do you feel about the wizard? And then uh, ask the wizard how they feel about you. I think the way Vesia feels about the wizard is kind of it, it's complicated. I think there's some resentment at the fact that they need the wizard to be functional. I think there's some obligation because the wizard did keep them alive functionally by making this deal. Um, but there's also a little bit of 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 guilt or regret that it is actively harming the wizard to keep them alive. Pyre, how do you feel about Vesiath? I I feel like given the amount of time that we've been together, I probably started not feeling super like you were a thing that I had that I helped save, right? Like I had to enter into this pact and save you to anchor you and all of this. But I think over, over the, however long we've been kind of at this together, I think there's at least a little bit more of a respect and understanding and like, and maybe I don't, I don't, don't know how much perhaps you've shared with the wizard about where, where you came from and why you left, but there's a level of respect for, you did a thing that was mortally dangerous coming to our realm and you are surviving by whatever means you needed to. And I can understand and respect that, that journey. Um, okay. So that is the wizard and the demon. Um, moving on to Mort, the monster. Mort. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, here's the thing. Ask the cursed, did you cast the spell that transformed them? And if you did, why did you do it? Ooh. I don't know. Do you, do you think that Asha was transformed by Wart for some reason? Uh, I, I think so. Um, though... I I think perhaps inadvertently. Um, okay. Uh, perhaps, you know, it sounds like Mort was very um, consumed with making these deals. And perhaps Asha got in the way of them. Okay. And ended up sort of getting perhaps vengefully cursed in the process. Okay. If we're thinking of like a, a a vengeance thing, could it be that Asha knew that Mort was making these deals through like a 
a rumor or something like that and was the one feeding the information to the witch that eventually took Mort's powers. Oh, I love that. Yes. I think that that um, perhaps Asha was uh, acquainted with said witch um, and was disturbed by these stories of the deals that Mort was making. Okay. Yeah, then I could definitely see Mort doing that as like a, a last-ditch effort to get revenge maybe as that power is leaving it. Just this this cry for revenge on whoever sold it out. And I think that could have definitely caused Asha's curse. Um, awesome. I love that. So like basically as your powers are being stripped, one last like lashing out kind of yeah oh yeah like a you know just curse you whoever it was that did this love that um so uh that already answers the next question how was the cursed involved in the incident that cost you your powers oh Um, there we go (laughs) (laughs) directly one and done there we go uh the next part of it though is uh ask the cursed uh why did they take pity on you and take you in Ooh, that's good I mean, at this point, I think we just have, we have so much going on between us where we're just doing things to spite each other. So I have no idea what would be something that caused them to find this common ground. I I mean, you know. Asha, is it just that Mort is just a a pathetic little guy now? (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely think Asha, you know, Asha had never met it before, right? Um, This was simply rumors that were swirling about this evil swamp witch who's making all these deals and taking things from people. And then when she meets Mort, Asha realizes that this person without, or this monster without its powers or the ability to verbally speak is is really been punished enough and and so uh they take pity on mort and say okay you've been punished let's try and work together from here on out so would it be a situation where asha knows who mort is and what mort's done or is it we come across each other not knowing who the other person is and what we've done to each other. That's a really good question. Both are very rich possibilities. <laughs> um, I know, it's tough. <laughs> I, and it sounds to me, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds to me like there might be some asymmetry here. Like maybe Asha recognizes Mort, but Mort doesn't know that it's the one that cursed oh, Asha. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I like that, where you know me, but I don't know that you're the one that I caused this curse to happen to. Yeah, you you likely recognize a curse, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily know that it, it was you that did it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah, I like that, I like that. Awesome, okay, and then one more question for the monster. 
you and the wizard go back a long way. Why were you once friends? And why did you become bitter enemies? And then <laughs> ask the wizard how they felt when the curse brought you home. I feel like Mort's got some kind of feeling about how just sparkly, gorgeous, flamboyant, charismatic the wizard is. And it's like, how dare you? Uh, first of all, but I feel it was, I don't know, it could be like petty high school bullshit where it's like they were good friends, but then they got to a point where that charisma started to take off and that was what drew people to the wizard while, you know, the strange magic, the, the strange love of the, the creepy bog magic is what eventually drove people away. So they went in opposite directions and that kind of severed the friendship, but there was always that acquaintanceship and those, those familiar memories from when they were really close. That is what has kept their relationship, I guess, amicable so that when they do meet back up again, they can kind of start fresh. I don't know maybe, how you feel about that. <laughs> yeah. And maybe part of it was like, maybe, maybe there was like an element of like competitiveness between us too, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe it was a school thing way back when, and we were always kind of one upping each other and it was playful and it was fun until I came back from with the pack from the demon. and was yeah. like, Oh, you're doing silly little spells. Look at what I can do now. And maybe that's also where my flamboyancy came from, right? Like maybe before yeah. I made the pack with the demon, I wasn't that way, but then I made the pact and I was like, I'm unstoppable. Look at all this stuff that I can do now. I want everyone oh, yeah. to notice me. If I'm, if I'm making a deal with a demon, I want everyone to notice what I can do. Yeah, I could see that. And I could also see Mort being the kind of person where there's that anger over, like, I still have to work to cultivate this magic where you can just get it from somebody else. Um, awesome. So that is the monster. Uh, moving on to me. Um, so the child's relationships, my first question, uh, what happened to your family and how did the wizard end up taking you in? Um, how do you feel about the wizard and ask how they feel about you? Um, so I think... Pyre ended up taking Kellis in at some point after um, they had uh, made this pact with Vesiath and were, you know, in this magical house roaming the wilds. Um, so uh, uh, the setting of the game is basically like, instead of steampunk, think magic punk. Um, uh, with very much an asshole magical analog of, uh, the evil British Empire, uh, and that is where the wizard comes from. Um, so I think that my family was just desperately, desperately poor. Um, and, you know, uh, it was either try and make a home in the wilds or starve. Um, and, um, that did not end up well for them so 
um, you know, my parents uh, went out one day to uh, forage and just never came home. And I think Pyre found me um, wandering through the wilds looking for them. Um, and we never like found a trace of them. Um, so yeah, I, I think Kellis sees Pyre as like mostly a parent figure. There's definitely part of that, like, you're not my real dad, um, (laughs) (laughs) kind of stuff when they're, when they're mad at Pyre, but like, um, you know, uh, three years is a long time when you're only 11. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's some, there's some genuine attachment there, even if the feelings are like kind of conflicted as to how they ended up there. Um, and how does Pyre feel about Kellis? Um, I feel like there's a bit of, again, almost like taking in a person who was in need like I've got the demon and even though that was a win-win for me still taking in like a a person or an entity or a thing in need um, I think with the child maybe it's a bit more of I want because one of the things about my character is kind of a longing for connection with people and longing for something that maybe I can impart this wisdom and this the things that I know onto this this child um, to like continue on work that I'm doing, uh, which is probably very frustrating to be working with an 11 year old who can't do spells and things. And where it's a like, no, no, no. But like, if you just read the book, if you read the book, it's the instructions are very clearly outlined. It is simple. It's, it's just so a, long. It's, it's just so, a lot of it's, it's, it's Latin. So it's long. fine. No, it's so long though. Did they not teach anyone Latin anymore in these days? <laughs> it's like being mad about kids not learning cursive in schools now. Like, are you not learning your Latin like I thought you should? Yeah. Yeah. So I think Look, it's, it's very is, much maybe hard exterior, is, but it's still. Uh, this is elementary demon sigils. Okay. Like you should have already <laughs> learned this by now. <laughs> uh, at, at your age, I was summoning demons left and right every day of the week. <laughs> Great. Uh, love it. Um, so the next question, um, what is my relationship with the demon like? Um, ask the demon and and then ask the demon how. So yeah, I guess um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the second question first. How does how does Vesiath feel about Kellis? I think Vesiath finds Kellis like slightly fascinating in an almost scientific way of like they're this almost conceptual elemental being who sort of spring into existence as they are. And you're telling me that these humans just, they take so much time to develop and grow and be fully, you know, at full function. And I think also it is a (laughs) joy, they are like a joyful outlet for like Vethias, like pettier urges of like, you want to play a really dumb pank on fire today? Like... I love that because um, I was kind of thinking that Kellis thinks of Vesiath as like the cool uncle, you know, like um, I think the only thing is that <laughs> Kellis knows from experience that 
Bessie F can lie to them. Mm, yes. <laughs> so they are very aware of the distinction. <laughs> but also, Uncle with Dope Wind Powers can sometimes take you flying. Oh, still very much like cool uncle, like Hondo. Um, <laughs> well, and, I, and I'm sure there's a level of like the first time that you like, y'all pulled a prank off and I walked straight up to Vessieth and I'm like, hey, who did this? And they go, <laughs> it was the child. <laughs> they didn't lie, but they also left off the part where they were involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. Shenanigans. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I once had to be saved from the monster. Um, what happened and how did the, uh, the wizard save me? And why did I reluctantly accept the monster no longer poses a threat to me? Um, so this one is like really open-ended. Like it could have been a misunderstanding. Um, you know, it could have, uh, but at some point, uh, I think maybe shortly after Mort, um, came into the home there was like some kind of i don't know dust up or confrontation maybe like um does mort have any like possessions that it's like really possessive of or like are they possessive of their space like maybe Kellis was just like curious maybe was... i like what you said about misunderstanding I feel like Mort might have strange, might have like a strange internal clock and is up late at night. So it might have been a situation where Mort was wandering around the home at night and Kellis woke up and thought there was a, an actual intruder in the home or there was some creature that was trying to get them, but it was just Mort getting a glass of water or something like that. <laughs> And there was like, and there was a that miscommunication of Mort's new to the house. It's kind of difficult to figure out where it's at, you know, what it's thinking, what its intentions are, and because it's difficult to communicate that, there was that moment of, you know, should you be awake this late at night? wandering around the house while everyone's asleep and having that like sit down conversation with Pyre and Mort to just kind of go, Hey, you know, Mort's a little weird. We all get that, but it's not here to hurt you. And, you know, if you do see Mort at night, just know that it's not planning anything <laughs> devious or things like that. It's just, doing what it does yeah i like that and you know i think it i think kellis also like i mean being a fucking kid like definitely <laughs> overreacted um because you know uh more like sinisterness as it was wandering around the house kind of took them back to that you know uh just really like took them back to that time when the wizard found them where they were, you know, like alone and terrified in the day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. 
Um, I think, I think that was like an important lesson for Callus, but like, they still feel like really like cautious around more. Like, it could be a cool, fun uncle situation, but like also like it could very much be something a lot scarier, and they're not they're not sure where they stand with it. Yeah. Oh, definitely for a kid, I could see that. How does Mort feel about Callus? I feel like Mort doesn't want to... I think Mort's at a point where it doesn't want to scare anyone anymore. Having the power taken away, having, you know, having to go and seek out help and a new living situation and lifestyle, things like that, kind of made it realize just how small it actually was. So the fact that there's this child now who is taking what's left of it after all of this power has been taken away and still seeing the potential for evil there, it's kind of like a reminder at even though all of the real evil about them is gone, that it's still something that people... I don't want to say demonized because it's not the demon, but, you know... (laughs) But in the sense that, you know people can still look at it and find fault with it. Yeah, there's that, like, level of unfair, like, judgment. Yeah. And it, and it wants to make things right, and it wants to be... It wants to have, like, a, a decent rapport with the child. Yeah. But just the nature of where the child is coming from, where Kellis is coming from, and just how more created itself with magic as to be this, you know, bog witch. And now that it's nothing, you know, it's just that it just feels bad. Uh, Okay. I love Mort so much. Uh, All right. Last up, we have the cursed. Um, So uh, how did you find your way to the wizard and why did you decide to stay? Yeah, so when Asha was cursed and um, uh, took on this semi-inhuman body, um, they felt like they had to leave their family and leave society altogether and wandered from the town they were living in into the wilds and um, in search of a a place to shelter found this wonderful home, uh, magical and mystical as it is, and that was also scary to her. Um, she really needed some place to stay, um, despite all of the things that were not great about their life beforehand. They'd always had a place to live um, and a place to shelter. So um, it was the most convenient place around, and... Um, <laughs> When when uh, 
she entered the home. Uh, she came upon Vesieth and really enjoyed their banter and the um, sort of playfulness of Vesieth and thought this this seems fine this, this, if, this, if if someone like this is here it can't possibly be scary right okay we're just gonna stay here <laughs> nothing scary about the wind elemental demon don't even not at all <laughs> no uh well that leads perfectly into the next question do you trust the demon i think asha trusts the trust the demon in trust Vesieth in the most important ways in the ways that are like I know you're like not gonna hurt me I know you're not gonna like do evil things but doesn't trust Vesieth to tell the truth or to like not cheat at like card games or whatever <laughs> like but the, the basic things they don't trust Vesieth with but the real deep things they do awesome and Vesieth uh how did you know that you could trust Asha oh um see I think I think it's it's sort of the point of being in between places of having come from somewhere and being sort of figuring out a way to keep yourself going. I think there was maybe at some point one night they were like up at the same time and had a conversation, but I think there was just a a point where Vesia saw was like, okay, human, but also understands what it is like to be not quite human. And there was just a moment of like, okay, this, this one has earned some respect. Um, awesome. And then uh, last question is, uh, Asha, what makes you feel protective of the child? Yeah, I think Asha never really had that sort of like warm paternal-maternal kind of relationship, but always kind of craved it. And seeing the relationship between the wizard and the child, you know, the wizard seems so flamboyant and and uh, sort of focused on the magical things and maybe less on the, like, basic needs of a child. Um, Asha was like, I, I really want to, like, make sure this child is actually properly cared for. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that Kellis, like, um, picked up, up on, you know, like, um, kids are definitely, like, uh, very intuitive when it comes to, like, understanding who cares about their safety and who does not. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Kellis definitely responded to that, um. And then our last question is one that we have answered already. So that is um, character creation. Um, next, we're going to move on to uh, creating details about the home. So we were talking uh, on Discord beforehand. Um, Pyre already... Uh, so about the home. Uh, the home is huge, inspiring, and very obviously magical. Um, and... 
the thing about the home uh, that is important is uh, it appears uh, how it appears shifts on based sorry how it appears shifts based on who's viewing it. So the person who's looking at it sees a home that feels cozy to them, um, which makes it hard to keep track of or keep tabs on um, because everyone reports seeing different things, which is fun. So uh, with that answer provided by the wizard, um, the next question about the home is for Vesiath. Um, the wizard's home moves around the wilds to make it harder for those in the outside world to find you. How does it move? And what are its other magical defenses? I think that maybe the house is one of the first things that we actually sort of collaborated on magically. And that like, mm. I think it is keeping to the sort of wind air theme. I think it, it genuinely is like wind power, like it is hovering and I am like actively moving it around. And I think it's then very like storm themed defenses of like storm clouds and lightning and like that sort of with a with a sort of touch of like magical um, like coloration and, and auras of like these things are clearly not natural, but they are coming up to defend. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Um, so the next question is for me, the home's interior shifts at the whim of the wizard and according to the needs of the family. What is the interior like and why does it feel homey? Um, I think that uh, when Pyre and Vesiath first collaborated to create the home, it very much like reflected Pyre's flamboyance. But as the number of inhabitants in the home has increased and space has been added like it's just become um it's like the difference between uh a house owned by people who don't have kids and a house owned by people who have multiple kids it's very much like that multiple kid type situation where um all of the really like fragile breakable stuff is in Pyre's study or whatever you know mm -hmm. they call their area um and the common spaces are more like sturdy furnishing and like um you know especially because uh there was definitely a time or two when Callus accidentally set something on fire um while practicing a lesson or something so um yeah, it's it's very much like, uh, you know, cottage course, sturdy furniture, um, kind of eclectic stuff, like, everywhere. Um, kind of vibe. Um, and then uh, a question for everyone. It's okay if you don't have an answer. Uh, just throw something out if this speaks to you. Um, Pyre didn't originally intend for all of us to share their home. Uh, so what's something that you can that you find inconvenient about the home? Lack of bathroom space. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like Pyre probably only put one bathroom in this house. You know, it, 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 the I'm assuming Vesiath may or may not need a bathroom for any reason. Um, I, I want to say there's two. I have mine. 
that is off my master suite and then there's one for the rest of y'all all the rest of us all the rest of us all the rest of you yeah. <laughs> i have no need for such things uh, i imagine part of the difficulty is maybe that uh that bathroom is not armadillo shaped as well yes uh, yeah um <laughs> having a large shell to maneuver around a bathroom not easy <laughs> I was also going to say, because you mentioned cottagecore, low ceilings? Yes. Love that. Too small. Too cramped. Humans have a strange attachment to roofs and closed spaces, and I am (laughs) out to this house, and I dislike the lack of open space. (laughs) Bessius' proposal was probably like, can we just have a big open cube? It's just all (laughs) open space. Just a large balcony. (laughs) Uh, love it. Um, yeah, I think, I think for Kellis, like, the thing that they find inconvenient is just, like, um, kind of the opposite of Mort is that, like, they're the only kid in the house, so everything is, like, at, you know, adult eye level. Uh, and, like, Asha is really the only person that kind of has similar difficulties to them, but yeah um cool so that's the home um a question from mort uh about the wilds uh which is where we are traveling around um what is the landscape of the wilds like is it a desert mountainous rolling glassy rolling grassy plains a dense and magical forest or something else Ooh, i like the idea of it being foresty because there are a lot of different things you can put in there so there are different corners of the forest that house different things so one aspect of the forest might be that to the north there might be a swamp to the south there might be a lot of dense forestry with open clearings scattered in there that's easy for people to get lost in one area might be more open with thinner trees one might be filled with uh rivers and a lot more wildlife and flora and different kinds of flowers and vines and trees and things like that but all in all it's just one massive forest with different things within it cool i like that um and then uh, our last uh, piece of world creation is uh, the enemy. Um, so we are not out in the wilds for our fun or our health. Uh, the wizard has an enemy that is chasing them. Um, so the wizard and their enemy uh, come from this uh, magical analog of the British Empire um, that's doing a bunch of colonizing and is really not great. Um, And for some reason, uh, this enemy needs Pyre to fulfill a plan. So um, uh, we're going to uh, just go through and, um, uh, what page is this? Um, If if folks are able to look at page 13 of the play materials um, with the options for the wizard's enemy, um 
I figured we could just go through uh, and everybody can pick one option uh, for the enemy, um, starting with Pyre. And you don't have to go in order. You can pick whatever speaks to you. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'll, I'm going to do the look because I feel like Pyre being as flashy and charismatic as they are, uh, picking the look feels the most appropriate for me. Um, I'm going to also, I'm going to say that they're, um, their gender is neither. Uh, they have calculating eyes. And I'm going to, the clothing, I, I want it to be very, like, not drab, but, like, it's going to be very, maybe more the antiquated vibe, where it's, like, they're they're very much an antithesis of how I present. Maybe very, like, clean-cut military, almost? Yeah, and, like, you know, lots of, sh- like, kind of, like, tan and grays and, like, very muted colors that are not as, like, flashy and fun. Um, they They like to blend a bit more with a crowd because they can get away with more things if they're blending versus me who can't like walk anywhere without at least half a dozen people acknowledging I, I exist. Uh, awesome. Uh, let's go with Vessiath. Um, I, if it's okay to say like some of the detail or the plan part, I was thinking maybe they're after the script, like specifically the demonic script that's used to etch our contract, because that's a way of, pulling power from another plane to power whatever the enemy is trying to do. So I wonder if that's why. I like that. So maybe their take on your situation is that Pyre was thinking too small. Yeah. Pyre was thinking too small and has obviously figured out how to harness this power. And so if they can do it, they can do it better. Yeah. Or just get a bunch of people to do it for them, so they don't. Yeah, have to or worry about perhaps them. make con- use this to force contracts on other demons or things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. some magical breakthrough that maybe is like has not manifested in the same way as like Pyre's like got this script all over them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then anyone, uh, you know, Asha or more, if you're feeling a name or a title. I, I was looking at the titles and I feel like with Eric's description of this person, they wouldn't like anything grand or really mag- magnificent in titles. So I, I liked Pontifex. Mm. I think that's a nice, concise title that conveys authority but isn't flamboyant or uh, fabulous in any way. Love it. And uh, Mort, why don't you hit us with a name? And feel free to throw out something that's not on that list. That's just inspiration. I'm I I have to go with my go-to every time I can't think of a name for anything at all. Kevin. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna it, have to go with Kevin, or is it just like total? No, it's just like, Kevin. Yeah, it's just it's K E V I N. Pontifex. Kevin. 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 <laughs> Can I just add that he hates that people don't take that seriously? Oh, for sure. I I feel like if anyone were to smirk or smile, like Kevin's stepping on your toes. Like yeah. you're mm-hmm. you're getting stomped. Listen, Kevin demands respect. Right? Kevin and the number of times that, the number of times that I've said Kev. Oh, Kev. 
<laughs> and like there's a twitch that develops every time I say it from Kevin. Yeah. Uh all right. So that is uh that <laughs> that's set up. Um so it's a bit on the lengthier side, but it is important. So um how are folks feeling about uh break versus no break? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, Let's great. Go. Let's do it. So, um, there are a whole bunch of mini games that we are going to skip because this is a one shot. Uh, and we are going to get started with a stupid argument. Um, so the home used to be quite spacious, uh, but there's more of us now. And sometimes the aggravation of feeling closely packed in means tempers can get a bit heated. What happens and how do we handle a situation? So set up for the game. Uh, this game is for anybody who wishes to play. Um, so first we're gonna decide who will play which roles in the scene. Um, so we need two arguers, two characters are the ones uh, having the stupid argument. Um, we need at least one character to be a de-escalator, um, but everyone who isn't an arguer can be a de-escalator um, if they like, um, or they can not be trying to de-escalate and just throwing <laughs> popcorn at the situation, uh, but we do need at least one. Um, so who wants to be the arguers? I'll do it. Great. I can argue um, with you. This will be funny. Because <laughs> you can't lie to me. <laughs> right, but the reverse of that is like they can't lie to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, like it's it's a double-edged sword in an oh, argument yeah. type situation. Yeah. And we were we were talking about this off uh prior to the recording about how like <laughs> in like the wheel of time, like the I Sedai cannot lie, but man, do they choose every single word very carefully well and it's also like if Vesiath is telling you a way in which you are deficient and they can't lie then like <laughs> man is that pointed uh great um I think that Kellis is going to try to de-escalate and they are going to be extremely bad at it <laughs> Uh, Asha will definitely step in to de-escalate though perhaps depending on the subject of the argument she may be a little out of her depth when it comes you know if it's about magical things <laughs> but she'll try <laughs> okay great then can I be a problem uh, <laughs> why am I not surprised that Mort just a little guy yeah, no, I I want to be a problem. Amazing, <laughs> yes, that is uh that is the monster's job. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank um, you. great. So starting the scene, um, arguers, where are you when the argument starts, and what are you doing? Uh, and the other piece is, what is the trivial disagreement that starts the argument? Why does it get heated, and why does each of you know that you're correct? Maybe we're remember, doing this has to be trivial. Oh, yeah. yeah. I 
I've got something empty if you Oh, go for it. Um or Vessia. Uh I think I was sitting in my study reading a book and Vessia came in and the wind coming off of them flipped the pages and I lost where I was. And I was so enthralled in what I was reading that I wasn't paying attention to the page number. And now I'm I'm completely at a loss because it is a 1200 page book. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and it is in 14 different languages. So trying to skim and find my way back is not feasible right now. And there's like so many sidebars. It's like a real house of leaves type situation. <laughs> it's like, I mean, and there's pop-up pages and there's, you know, if you open the wrong page, a magic squirrel flies out and hits you in the face. <laughs> Clarification: Did you say swirl or squirrel? I mean, <laughs> both. <laughs> it's Magic if you flip the pages in the wrong order, it turns into a mimic. Who knows? <laughs> uh, amazing. Uh, so, um, I think is is Pyre reading like in a common area then? I think, I mean, I think I would be reading, yeah, oh no, as I'm like thinking this through, I'm absolutely reading this book somewhere where people can see that I'm reading this book, because it is fucking impressive that I can read this particular book. No <laughs> one else realizes that it's impressive, but I know that it is, and I so mean, I want to be seen. You tried to get Kellis to read it once, um, <laughs> and Girl, like- Kellis, Kellis is over there. <laughs> Got to page two and walked yeah. away. <laughs> was just like, no. Mm -mm. Great. Uh, so that is the setup. That is what has happened. Um, it is in a common room. So every basically everyone is there. Uh, please take this away, Pyre and Bessia. If I have told you once, I have told you a hundred times or more just today. You have to temper your wins when you come into the common room. People are reading. There are snacks. I have now lost my place. And this was four hours I will no longer get back. I have to start over. I am a being fundamentally of the winds, wizard. There is no yes, such I am thing aware of that. suppressing the winds. You are the one who can bind a creature of winds to a fully enclosed space aside from one tiny balcony. And so as they're getting more annoyed, the wind is like picking up because this is what happens when they get annoyed. And you, look, you can rile yourself up. Your winds are whirling around right now. You can pull them right back down. I've seen you do it and you cannot tell me you can't. You imply that I am riling myself up when it is you who chooses to stir the pot in this instance, is it not? Kellis is literally doing this. <laughs> Kellis is I look over at Kellis is holding, holding their hand up. Yeah, just like, yes, hi. I, I look up, like, what? Um, do you ever ask, and this is, like, they're looking at Pyre, um, do you ever ask anyone else in the home to, like, control or modify parts of their body? No one else has ever flipped the pages of my book without my asking. Yeah, but, like, that's not... 
it like, is not that I lack the self-control. And in that, they do actually pull back so that, like, Kellis's hair is whipping a little less, but Pyre's is not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that I lack the self-control. It is that they are simply being inconsiderate of something fundamentally myself. But you have, you've come in this room dozens of times and never flipped the pages of a book. And today, you're whipping in here like you've just drank down four energy potions that I've created and can no longer control yourself. You are acting as a child. There uh, and that's what Callus is like, um, like mixture of hurt and offended in that way that like 11 year olds do. Like, um, and, and acting like a child is, bad yes is acting like a child bad wizard acting like an inconsiderate child is bad and what makes a child fundamentally inconsiderate as opposed to a fully fledged human i did not say all children were inconsiderate i said an inconsiderate child is not good and truly, you understand that demon. there is no such thing as a demon child, yes. Uh, and and Kellis came into this, like, genuinely trying to defuse, but, like, is feeling insulted and is now definitely taking sides. And they're just like, um, you could be reading that in your study, but you're not. So, who's being inconsiderate? It's my home! Yes, and yet, if you do not want... The wind coming off of a wind elemental to disturb your study, perhaps privacy. Uh, Mort, at any point you want to make the situation worse. Oh yeah, Mort is actively uh, over Pyre's shoulder, flipping through the book and like (laughs) seeing what each page has on it. (laughs) Because it's like, oh, you come and you, like who else flips my pages? And Mort's just like reading the book. I feel like you flip to the wrong page and just, like, a sparkler just, like, goes off in the room. I'm trying to find that page with the squirrel. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's page 837. Do you say this? Because I'm going to page. I'm going to whatever page this is. I'm to find a squirrel. Ah, see, I'm not the only one that flips the pages. I turn, like, what are you to do? You... I simply am trying to read a book in peace and quiet, and suddenly this is a problem. Everyone is upset. We are just blowing in the wind everywhere. I. Well, as mm. far as I understand, the central room is supposed to be for shared recreation, is it not? Is it supposed to be a room for shared disturbances as well? Is that not right. what human recreation is? A large series of disturbances. All right, this Asha. is. Yeah, this is when Asha, like, finally, who had been trying to stay out of it, been trying to stay on the other side of the room and say, this is not my business, this is not my business, stay out of it, is just walks over and says, um, excuse me, I don't understand your, um, disagreement. I was being accosted simply for passing through a space in a manner traditional to my own movement. And and this caused you some inconvenience, Pyre? Yes, I have lost the place in this text 
that is very difficult to relocate if you have not mar appropriately marked it with the correct spells. I mean, watch this, and you see me. Perhaps like, if you were. <laughs> oh, you see, I, I like. I grab, uh, like, I wave my hand, and one of my other books comes floating up right in front of me. It's like magic is swirling all around it. You see it flip over itself three times, opens up perfectly to the last page that I had left it on, and I show it to the curse, like, see, like this. And you didn't do that for that tome. Kellis rolls their eyes, leans over to Mort, <laughs> and whispers, 837. I'm going to 837. I'm going to that page. <laughs> as soon as you do, a squirrel pops out of it. And I go, yeah, this is, I grab the book from you and I'm like, this is. Oh, so surely you can understand my plight. Look at this perfectly open book here that I have crafted my magics in order to help not ever lose my place. Can I oh, close yes, that, that book? Yeah, you can close it. That is such a, a lovely book. Why why not read that book? I've read that one seven times. I was reading this one for the first time to expand my magic and expand my understanding of the world. Until I was so rudely interrupted. By the demon who is also helping you understand the world. So simply perhaps you can you can understand it together. Hires is just like this the biggest deep breath is just like you I look directly at at Vessia that I'm like I know the words that you were speaking. I was passing through. There are many paths through this house that would not have required you to pass through this one when you saw me clearly reading. And therefore I questioned the intent of passing through. This is a shared space. Can I not pass through a shared space in a home that is in theory somewhat of my own? Alice just got up in somebody's face. <laughs> <laughs> you know that look? You know that look that tweens give you when they are on to your bullshit? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just that. Great. Yes. Neither confirming nor denying. Yes. Anything on purpose. <laughs> That's why I'm pushing on it, because I'm like, <laughs> I know what you are doing. Yes, yeah. Why not next time simply simply read your book in the quiet of your study? I can bring you things if you need them. Should not have to be regulated to my own study in order to read a book in peace. Oh, it would be Perhaps. so awful to be regulated to a small space to live your life and do your business. It must be so difficult for you. It's so interesting that you complain about the space that you were living in, when the reality is if you were not living in this space, you simply would not be living at all. Well, living is a strong word here. I think this is when Kellis blows up. They like stomp their foot and they're like, why is everyone being more childish than me? <laughs> As more to opening 837 over. And over. <laughs> 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 
Listen, it's just a little creature, okay? It's just a little guy. There's just like seven squirrels. Like, yeah, Mort's, Mort's sitting on the floor with like a bunch of squirrels in its lap, just opening the page again at another squirrel, at another squirrel. And Asha's sitting here like, okay, everyone, I, I can appreciate this argument, but we now have close to a dozen squirrels that I have to round up and get out of this house. So can we? Can I, I walk over and I grab the book from Moore, and I'm like, no. <laughs> can we Absolutely simply all agree not. to be a little more considerate about where we are and who we're around and what they're doing? without asking anyone to suppress what is their inner being. And I think Vesieth kind of like puffs out a little air and kind of corrals some of the squirrels into like a circle near more and is like kind of maintaining that while being like, yes, and perhaps we maintain mutually available public spaces. I will do my best. Be aware of where people are when I'm trying to read. And perhaps next time if I see you coming in, I will simply ask you to pause so I may close my book appropriately and not lose my place. Or, you know, just do that magic thing that you did with the other book. <laughs> I was like, I really, Pyre almost like wants to just like wave his hand or wave their hand and just like, a dozen books all perfectly open up around them <laughs> to all of the last places that they had been reading. Amazing. Um, so uh, this leads to uh, the next question. Um, was any damage done to the home that needs to be repaired? And if so, how do you all fix it together? Probably just getting rid of the squirrels at this point. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we dam I don't think we really damaged anything. I think there were just some like there's like more squirrels running around the house that occasionally we have to like ah oh, damn it another squirrel <laughs> and and they they likely picked up some various things around that you know we're not fragile because those are all confined in a way but you know just uh made things askew that now Asha is going around and putting back where they go just like nope tur this turns this way this goes there. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so that is a stupid argument. Um, so uh, we're going to go back to our character sheets here on the second page of our character, excuse me, character sheets is uh, where we have our marks. Um, and uh, if you hit one of your marks, tell everyone what it is. And then just uh, briefly say, what's a positive lesson you learned during this scene? Um, I guess I'll go, because I, I did hit a mark. Um, do something you know will annoy the family because it brings you pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> what possibly could that have been? I don't know, something. Uh, but I feel, if anything, uh, Mort learned that disagreements aside, there will always be common factors in which the household can work together. So... Because of the squirrels, we probably spent the better part of an afternoon and then some corralling the squirrels to get them out of the house. 
But at that point, the discussion wasn't on the table anymore. Nobody was arguing. And the day kind of continued as normal. But it's just a little a little something that even if we argue, the family dynamic still, you know, beats it out. Yeah. Um, I'm given that this is a one shot, I'm going to say that I hit this. It's a bit of a stretch, but, uh, I invite people to, uh, include other similarly stretched marks, given that we're playing a small number of scenes. Um, I bluntly expressed doubts about someone's place in the family, um, specifically Potter. <laughs> like, are you supposed I, to be in the are you I don't think that's a stretch. I think you, I think you did yeah. that. <laughs> um, and I think the thing that I learned is um, uh, that grown-ups don't grown-ups don't always know what they should be doing either. Um, and I think I definitely like don't necessarily have more empathy for it right now, but like I'm like, oh, like grown-ups are just as messy as kids actually i i think given that kind of context i think i hit complain about being taken advantage of um especially like with respect to like the space and things like that and so i think the the thing that i learned about that um probably something on the lines of just because my sort of confinement is a little bit more literal does not mean that everything I do within that confinement will actually, you know, make my situation better. Not always useful to be petty, annoyingly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think I hit a mark as well. Um, Again, taking the stretching things a little bit which is keep everyone from panicking in a crisis wouldn't really call this a crisis but it it almost was a crisis there for a minute um and i think like kellis uh asha sort of learned that just because people maybe are more learned in certain areas and more worldly (laughs) doesn't mean they have common sense (laughs) so sometimes you really do know best even if you don't know anything about the arcane world um i think i think well i kind of i kind of hit on two of them i'm gonna i'm gonna hone in on one because i and i don't know if it'll if i don't know if asha will have acknowledged this or not but using my power in a flashy way to impress the cursed mm. like me pulling my books out and like opening them like for me that was like a look at like see like i can do magic i can definitely do it isn't that super fun and cool um i mean this definitely is a situation where you can hit more than one mark in a scene and if you have okay. i encourage you to okay do so, so oh yeah then i also definitely deflected responsibility for a situation i created one hundred percent did that. Um, but I I do think the thing that Pyre learned out of this is more so like I think for Pyre, this interaction with with Vesia like would have been a normal any day interaction. Like we have these we've had these squabbles 
a million times before and it's just part of the daily routine and like it doesn't phase at least as far as pyre considers it it doesn't phase either of us like we have the squabble we move on um but the thing that they learned is that everyone else is in tune with with what's going on in the house and feels invested enough to jump in and say like hey we need to de-escalate this we need to get involved you're being mean you're doing this in a way that i don't think pyre fully had like maybe recognized before awesome all right so that is a stupid argument so moving on from there um we are going to go to a special family meal um so for whatever reason it doesn't happen very often that everyone gets together to sit down for a nice family meal uh whose idea was it and how does everyone contribute um so the setup for the game this game is for everybody um begin uh so this is more a question for uh everybody um why did we decide to make this meal a, a, a special family meal Part of me wants to say Kellis's birthday. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it is my birthday. Uh, incredible. How many, y'all, I have played this game so many times and literally have never played a birthday. So, <gasps> birthday. 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 <laughs> so excited. Yes, absolutely. It is my birthday. Great. Uh, so, uh, next we're going to go into, um, uh, meal prep. Um, we're going to describe how each of us contributes to preparing the meal. Um, so each player is going to choose a role. And then when everyone has selected a role, uh, we're going to answer the associated questions in the following order. So the available roles are gathering ingredients, dishes, AKA doing dishes, uh, clearing the table, food prep and cooking. Um, and given that it is my birthday, I'm going to call <laughs> dibs on clearing the table. <coughs> I would love to call dishes. I feel like I, I feel like Pyre would definitely want to be the one cooking. I'd say gather ingredients for more yeah, and, and Asha is definitely the kind of person who will do whatever's left over, but also getting to do food prep means getting to be close to Pyre, which is always a nice thing. So <laughs> they're very okay with that. Love that. Everyone has a task that they're happy with. Uh so we're gonna we're gonna start off with some trouble right away. Uh more uh just just a little guy. Uh uh it is so more you gather fresh ingredients uh either from your garden or the wilds uh what do you bring back and what special handling does it require i feel like mort's diet is very different from what most people in the house would eat so a lot of the ingredients that would come from the wilds because i definitely think mort would go out into the wilderness to just pick and choose whatever's out there uh it would require a bit more mm, 
investigation uh, on the the household side to make sure that whatever Mort brings back is edible. Uh, some <laughs> of those things might be strange roots. Uh, some of it just might be a canteen of extremely dirty water. Uh, some of it might be a fistful of berries. Not even just enough for everyone, just a fistful of them. <laughs> there's a there's a satchel that's probably filled with uh, maybe some things that are edible that people are familiar with. Maybe some kind of green lettuce or spinach or something that it might have grabbed from somebody else's garden. Uh, there probably are a few... Maybe there are some some hunters in the nearby woods, and Mort just takes their catches. Uh, so everything that comes back to the house is a big mod podge of strange objects and items, some of which are edible, some of which need a little more research to see if they truly are edible. Um, but I think by the time Mort gets back, there's enough stuff in that bag that it looks like somebody just dug up an entire garden of things and dumped it on the kitchen table. Great. Great. Ingredient potpourri. Yes. (laughs) Pick and choose. Fantastic. Uh, all right, so uh, Vesieth, uh, dishes. Uh, there's a there's a huge stack of dishes to get washed if everyone is going to have something to eat on, because they have not happened in a while. Um, what magic that Pyre uh, created that is supposed to help with dishwashing is actually making it harder for you right now. <laughs> I think Vesieth is just, like, generally annoyed by the concept of, like, petty chores that is, like, no, beneath me. But, like, the human has to eat, and I have to take part in the child's, like, coming-of-age ritual. It's very important. Um, it's a human tradition, and it's important for the child, so we gotta do it. Um, and I think probably they're trying to, like, plug into some, like, plug their power into some room that they've created that's supposed to be some kind of, like, magical dishwasher. But being, like, wind-based, it just, like, is completely, like, even feeding a little drop is like breaking dishes and there's stuff like crashing around and they're like kind of like having to do it like manually, which they are deeply annoyed by. Because <laughs> the stupid incantation is made for human power levels. Right. And what does manual even look like for someone with a wind? And it's still like levitating everything with like five currents of air and like manually like scrubbing five dishes with like two different rounds and then like kind of air drying them like fast. So it's still faster than like any human could do it, but it's like so beneath them. (laughs) (laughs) And every time you just hear Pyre from the other, be like, did you break another dish? My God, we don't have them growing on trees. You Um, could just summon one. I I think that there is I think that there is absolutely a tree in the wilds where dishes grow. Oh. There's one oh. on the table. I found one while I was out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a little tree that's made of teacups. Yeah. It's like a little tiny tea. Tree cups. Like, tea. <laughs> tree, tree cups. 
There's a little, yeah, there's like a little saucer and a, and a chipped teacup on the, or tree cup it, on the table. It's neighbor, the cutler tree. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, amazing. Um, yeah. So clearing the table, um, Kellis called dibs on this chore because they were like, I'm getting an easy chore. However, uh, the wizard, uh, as we've established, has a bad habit of leaving their books uh, at the table. Um, so uh, the question is, how do I soothe the books before I can put them back on the shelf? Um, so I think after, I think after the the, the dust up about the books, um, Pyre has been better about being more considerate of Vesiath, but like part of that has also just included like um the books are generally more defensive if like Pyre is not done with them yet. One hundred percent. Yeah, and there was like definitely some like magical treatise or theorem that like Pyre was trying to like refresh their memory of so there's just these like three like enormous uh books um that are like on the table uh and but when kellis tries to move them they like like start trying to like snap at their fingers uh and so uh kellis has to I think Callus has to like go and find a bedtime story and like just read a bunch of bedtime stories to these books uh, to get them to go to sleep so that they won't try and bite them so they can put them back uh, in Pyre study. Did we end up with any more squirrels? Did you open to 837? <laughs> I think this was a different book. I think this was like... <laughs> like you know um like the magical equivalent of like aristotle like just some dry ass theorems mm -hmm. um you know like not even like magic but like philosophy of magic which is like honestly a million times worse as far as Kellis is concerned <laughs> so yeah those are the most interesting books and pyre never understands why you, no. you don't get into like no it's just when you understand the root of the magic it truly just makes no. it so much more special. <laughs> I think whenever you start on one of those lectures, like Kellis literally just like leaves. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So whatever, whatever chores are like happening around, like there's just a long period of time where like Kellis has like a stack and like they're reading to the books and then they're like, and then one of the books will kind of be like, uh, they're like, no, okay, I gotta keep reading. <laughs> um, all right, on to food prep. So, Asha, you're helping with chopping and other food preparation. Um, it very much sounds like the person who gathered ingredients did not um provide you with any particular instruction. Um, so how does how does that go for you? Yeah. So at first, when Mort brings the bag in, and, and I'm assuming sort of just dumps it out, like, probably, you know, doesn't really, you know, do it organized or neatly in any way, shape, or form. Um, Asha's just like, oh, 
oh my um and does their best to try and sort through what's there being like i don't know what this is or oh but that that those those are you know those are gooseberries i know what those are but i have no clue what this is <laughs> and is trying to like it's like picking things up by corners of them and being like does this hurt me does this like what does this do and eventually has to like uh lean over to pyre and it's just like is 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 this filled with evil (laughs) (laughs) i think it's it's this head of lettuce that's just like looks ordinary except for the fact that it's like kind of undulating (laughs) (laughs) has something evil possessed this lettuce and I, I feel like I would just kind of like I feel like I would just kind of like wave wave a hand over it and like almost like not to use like a D and D phrase, but like a detect e- like I'm just kind of like waving my hand to like feel the magic coming off of it to be like oh, that's just, that's, yeah, I've seen weirder things <laughs> with some paprika it'll be delicious <laughs> and and that sort of has to continue with like. I would say, like, three-fifths of the ingredients. Like, they're just these odds and ends that are like, well, this is a root that could literally be anything, including just a stick. So I guess I better (laughs) ask about this one. Um, (laughs) There are absolutely just three things that were just straight-up tree roots. Like, that they were just... That's it. Like, I mean... It would make the meal hearty, but I don't think anyone wants to actually eat tree bark today. Except for more. Except for more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. We, we we put those aside for more. We don't throw it away. We're just like, this is Mort's area. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tree jerky for later. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that there's like, like a special serving dish of like things for Mort. <laughs> I literally was thinking it's like when you go to like, di- like when you're going to like a catered meal or whatever, and it's like everyone gets the one plate and they pull off the things. And then there's like the person with like the vegan or gluten free that gets like a separate dish put in front of them. And like, that's what Mort gets. Yeah, like here is <laughs> three pieces of tree bark, some weird mushrooms we couldn't identify, but we think that they're probably safe for Mort. Or like the child at a fancy dinner where like they get the like escargot put in front of them like everyone else, but then someone comes alongside and gives them like a little thing of mac and cheese. Like I know you're not going to eat that, so here's the stuff you actually like. We just pull out this thing of like tree bark and dirt and rocks for more like oh we know you'll like this <laughs> uh, is there like a shiny rock in there for me to just kind of play with as I'm like sitting at this dinner table like <laughs> um yeah definitely uh so lastly on to uh pyre you take the prepared ingredients and cook a delicious meal when have you cooked a meal like this before? And uh, who did you cook it for? So I think the last time that I made like a true, like I really made like a truly like special delicious meal was probably like the last night that Kevin and I like were still on good terms. And maybe I haven't made a big delicious meal since then because like going back to make a big meal has been like, anxiety producing for me because i'm like if i make a big meal for somebody is that going to then somehow 
cause everyone to just like abandon me again um because for whatever reason that kevin ran off you know there's a little bit of that where it's like yeah we're like enemies now but like not like that was such a good time um so i think that's i think that's why like since then you'll see pyre might just like grab a quick bite or make stuff in their in their study or you know maybe doesn't always eat with everybody else because there's this weird thing about you know, being part of a big meal and what does that mean for like the next day? Yeah. Wow. That's that's really that's really kind of sad and poignant. You know, it's like I, that thing it's like that thing where like you have enough distance from someone to know that they were trash, but you're still sad about mm-hmm. the relationship you used to have. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that's like at all. Um, <laughs> it's never happened to me in real life ever. Never happened no, to any of can't us. Say. No. <laughs> can't say. I love that all of us right now, clearly on our faces, have like we all have somebody that we're like. <laughs> yep. I'm glad that yep. I could bring the mood fully down for everybody. Like we're having just as pleasant. We're eating rocks. We have like mac Ooh, and cheese. Yeah, happy birthday. Love a full and emotional spectrum. And then I'm like, remember that time that I made a meal for somebody I really appreciated and loved, and then they left me forever, and now they want to hunt and hurt, and hurt me. Who knew? Uh, happy birthday. You know, I I wrote the game, so I'm at least partly responsible. Um. Uh, yeah. So once the food is ready, it's time to eat. Um, the wizard serves the food. Uh, Pyre, what do you say to open the meal? Um, so the, I mean, I, Pyre kind of comes like very, very flashily, like puts all the plates in front of everybody. It's a big to do. Um, I think even, um, even you would be like looking around like as like, I'm just, it's a, it's a spectacle. Um, and I just like let everything sit and ever as everyone's like staring in awe at all the things that I've done, or at least I assume that you're staring in awe at all the things that I've done. Um, <laughs> and, and I think all I do is just kind of turn and look at you and say, happy birthday. And like, that's yeah. as much, that's as much of a speech as you get out of higher. You know what? And like, um, they're really happy with that because like the the meal the spectacle is is the speech as far as they're concerned um so uh this next bit is going to be a bit more free form um every person is going to take turns choosing an action and answering the associated questions um so your options uh during the scene you can ask a personal question of someone um you can tell a funny story about someone else um, or you can good-naturedly rehash an old argument. <laughs> I feel like that was a little pointed. <laughs> Enter the Willem gif of your tone feels a little pointed right now. <laughs> so, well. I don't know why that would be the case. Um... Yeah, I don't know. If someone else wants to get started, uh, I don't have anything at the moment. Um, I think uh, Asha would be very intrigued by by this cooking 
skill that has never manifested before, right? Like, this is like, Asha's been having to, like, take care of everyone, especially Kellis, who was, like, I wouldn't say, like, malnourished, but clearly was not eating fully nutritional things, probably. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Kellis is, like, high-key autistic and, like, has been eating the magic punk equivalent of like a craft dinner and like those dinosaur shaped chicken nuggets <laughs> <laughs> and Asha's like where are the vegetables and tells him, like vegetables <laughs> uh, but uh, so Asha of course gets curious and, and asks oh where did where did you develop these skills uh I think Pyro would just like kind of you, you see them kind of reflecting for a minute and they're like, ah, in we'll call it a former life, I I enjoyed the making meals and, and celebrating people and really finding those those dishes to sit and and stew over. Ah puns. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Callus looks really interested and like takes a big bite of you know uh you know one of the things that you made and then is looking at you pyre and it's like you've never made anything like this for my birthday before who did you used to cook for uh you see pyre kind of like do the thing where they're kind of pondering for a second and they're like i i used to cook for a number of friends and it's it's been a minute since i've had a reason to cook for a big group like this. And while birthdays are always very important, we've never quite found our 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 space here in the in the ho- the house. But I think this year we have. And Asha sort of goes, "Well, it it really is wonderful to Eating with all of you, you know, I I'm used to being the one who must do all the cooking, and and I never get to enjoy eating it with anyone, and so this is this is wonderful, um, and I think such a wonderful occasion to celebrate um, our a lovely special little person. That's perfect. That's that that leads in perfectly to what I wanted to do. Um, so I think Kellis like gets up, walks around the table, and like, um, gives Asha like whatever a little hug looks like for an armadillo person. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Kellis's uh, arms probably aren't big enough to go around an armadillo shell. <laughs> I think it's more that yeah, it's 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 like. You know, like that. Um, uh, and then they kind of like bounce back to their seat and they sit down and then they kind of are like, you know, you saying that is like, you know, that feeling like when you run into your teacher at the grocery store and you're like, your teacher has a life outside of like <laughs> your experience of them they kind of are like have this look of like 
oh and and they look at asha and and they're like um what sorry th this is me the player uh um yeah i i i think i think they just fire off like a bunch of questions in a row it's not one question it's like uh what were family like uh what were like meals like this like you know where you used to live what was your family like you know uh did you did you do the cooking for them too or did other people do the cooking and they're just like very curious about like your pre armadillo life and and asha you know sort of it takes a moment to be very considerate of their words and and says no i i cooked for my family i made all these special treats for everyone but i was always so busy i i just didn't um get to be with them very much and their their minds were elsewhere they were just so busy too so i i spent a lot of my time in the kitchen uh, but I'm very happy to be here with you all now. Great. Yeah, and I think um, Kellis is happy to take that at face value. All right, someone else. I feel that Mort's difficulty with having verbal communications with people is going to make a lot of these very difficult. <laughs> but I feel that the closest thing that I could do was would probably be around this time I feel like the vibes in the room are a little somber just because of this is a rare occasion and everyone's feeling a certain type of way about it that uh, like telepathically there is a little light ripple of a memory of everyone sitting around the table for the first time when all five of us were in the house the very first night just everyone was there and there were stacks of books piled up on the kitchen table so any <laughs> dishes of food were just kind of at different levels and people had to reach up and grab off of plates and every like nobody knew what everyone like ate. So one plate might just be like five grilled cheeses, and another plate might just be mud, or <laughs> one plate <laughs> might be a fully prepared, cook caught seasoned fish, or just different things that together don't make any sense, but it was one thing that each person kind of contributed to this first meal. 
and now we're all sitting around eating the same food together. Well, minus Mort, who's chewing on a rock, but like <laughs> everybody, everybody has something, and everybody brought something to this meal where it's one cohesive unit, and it's that ripple of a memory that it's like, look at how our dynamic has shifted in that we were five separate people in this space, and now we are one unit occupying this space. And it's more of a, a happy, jovial memory of we're still that messy group of people. It's just <laughs> that in this moment, we've kind of worked together to make things as seamless as possible for Kellis's birthday. I love that. I love that. And I feel like in like the spirit of that, I think Vessi then rehashes an old argument that they know everyone else is on the other side of. And that <laughs> they know they're going to be ganged up on, but it's one that they know is not a it's a it's one that they've had a lot of times so, because Vessi doesn't eat because they're literally an air being. This is like kind of like hovering above a chair slightly and being like, I still don't understand why the food's important. <laughs> Um, and like, I, I think, I think Kellis is like trying to like come up with the argument and like all that they're able to like, is they just point at the enormous cake that Pyre made. Like, <laughs> like it's, I feel like it's, it's just like this gargantuan ridiculous thing and they're just cake. But yes. cake, that's yeah. <laughs> cake yeah yes it's very tall and very visually appealing but so are you know windows that sort of thing trees i mean you can't eat a window i mean maybe mort could but most people can't eat windows Food, and I would argue that perhaps needing to eat makes it, you know, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. You don't need to. I don't just, so the, it seems so, uh, but weighs you down unnecessarily. Food is a way to, to transport yourself to somewhere else, to experience something outside of your current reality and enjoy it with your your friends, your family, those around us. It's reality shifting food. What did you put in this fire? <laughs> Listen, I saved those for special occasions and mostly just for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you see Asha brownies. Just, Asha just gets like red in the face, like, oh no, I said something that could be misinterpreted like as actual magic. I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Kellis does this thing where they're looking back and forth between like picking up on like Asha's embarrassment but also like looking at Pyre and then they're just like food is a hug and, and then everybody's like yep mm -hmm, yep yeah, <laughs> and I think there's like a wind ruffle in um, Kellis's hair at that <laughs>
All right. Uh, so Mort or Pyre? I oh no, sorry, Pyre. Uh, sorry, Mort um did the memory, so it's just it's just Pyre. It's just yeah, me. just Pyre. Um, I think I'm gonna look over at my good friend, my demon, and be like, "Do you remember that time? Do you remember? Do you remember the time when you had first just moved into the home?" And you didn't quite fully understand the space that we were in. And I came up in the morning and literally everything in the, everything in the house was displaced. You had literally strewn books. You had overturned a desk and it was and like, I come and found you just like sitting in the middle of the house being like, I, this is all very small and I do not like it. It was a structure of wood and nothing had grown roots to stay down. It was all, you have so many things and they're so unstable. How was I supposed to know? And you just, you, I, I came down to find you and you were trying so difficultly to put a book back on the shelf. But every time you put a book on the shelf, three more flew off in the distance because you had, you were such force behind you and didn't understand fully how to navigate our realm. And it was, and like Pyre's like face is just very like, it was very much like a moment of like watching this like all powerful be being almost like acting with like an innocent naiveness of like a child that like Pyre just remembers very fondly. And it's like one of those, like one of their like favorite memories of when they like first were getting to know Bessieth is like watching them basically like learn how to operate in our, our realm and our space. And, like, the pureness of, like, I tried to put the book back, but it just. And at that point, you, you had to be truthful with me. So all of it was, like, I was trying to put the thing. I didn't mean yeah. to do. Yeah, it wasn't even, it wasn't even, like, I think you, you like, asked, like, why you did it. And it was, like, it was, like, very clear it was not a malicious thing. It was just to, yeah. like, trying to, like, figure out how to, like, tone things down or direct things in a way. When you're like, I just of... wanted to read this one book. And then suddenly every book was flying around the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's, like, embarrassing, I think, for, for Messiah to, like, have that out there a little bit. And, like, they're, like, definitely, like, this is for the child. But it's also, like, that was, like, not fun for them. Being, like, what is, like, I don't have control over my environment. And so, like, I don't think they're necessarily making a big deal about it. But I think they are definitely mm -hmm. a little, um, I think there, there's kind of a, there's some little, like, swirling eddies and, like, the, 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 like I think it picks up a little bit. It gets a little bit more more twisty. Like still slow, but I think things are swirling around a little bit, and they're maybe like not the most comfortable in that moment as the story is being told. I think Kellis like pushes their food around their plate for like a minute, um, and like the thing that they're like thinking about is that like literally everyone in this family has a body that does not function or like exist the way that they need it to at least part of the time um you know included including Kellis like they're the most normal but like being 11 is weird you're you're you don't know how long your limbs are you oh you're constantly you right over yourself all the time yeah all the time and i think finally they just like look sympathetically at vasiath and are like 
I mean, bodies are weird and inconvenient for everyone. At least everyone here. Corporeal forms are limited. Certainly. And Asha just just kind of plates together their armadillo claws and it's just like, indeed. I <laughs> <laughs> feel like Mort would with whatever's in it's glass, maybe like soapy water. I don't know. Would probably just kind of like a, like an I'll drink to that, and then drinks the the dish water. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like levitate the cake over to the center. So explain to me why how this cake works. Amazing, and I think that's a great way to wrap the scene. Is slicing and handing out cake um uh yeah so we're gonna pause and do marks super quick and then the next scene is gonna flow right out of this one um so i have to scroll back up in my document if anyone else wants to go first i've got i mean i don't the one that the one that i have that would potentially apply, but I don't know if it fully does, is sharing a painful truth about myself to the cursed. It's like, I shared a little bit, but I don't know if I share, like, I don't know if it fully counts as a painful truth. I think so. I mean, given okay. that we're, given that we're, like, this game is designed for, like, campaign play, and we are definitely shortening it, so we are going to be <laughs> extremely generous with what counts. <laughs> Fair. That I did that. Um, I think that, the, I think the thing that I, learned is that I having known Vesieth as long as I have I think when I told the story thinking that I was having a moment of fun and like oh my gosh that was so fun when that thing happened and it was so funny and watching you not respond in the way that I expected I think it's it's given me that moment of like I need to like use a minute between brain and mouth and be more cognizant of the words as they go because that did not have the impact on you that I was hoping it would have and so my my internal struggle of like making sure I'm building connections and not act, and not inadvertently pushing people away awesome um this is being generous uh, with myself here, but uh, I'm going to say that I complained about having to contribute to household labor uh, in that <laughs> I called dibs on what I saw as the chore that was the least amount of work and was still annoyed by it. But I think seeing the amount of work that like um, uh, Asha and Pyre put into the meal and like... Um, Mort's labor was more obscured in that it left and then it came back but like with a mountain of stuff uh and it's like okay so like you know like aside from Vesieth was the only other person that was like really like complaining bitterly about you know 
kind of a comparatively small thing, but it was like, you know, uh, Pyre and Asha especially were, were very gracious about like a huge amount of work. Um, and it made a big difference. And so I, I think that they're like reflecting on their attitude towards like, maybe I, I need to approach shared household labor with like a better attitude. That... Uh, oh, do you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it in, in kind of a similar vein. So the mark I hit was grudgingly use your power to make the family happy. And I think the biggest lesson out of that was just that sometimes it is worth compromising even when you don't have to, because there's something that you can, it, that it is sometimes worth it to compromise for the benefit of others without needing to. And I think I can cross off, uh, do something unexpectedly kind. Um, seeing that the atmosphere was going south pretty fast, uh, kind of bringing back the, the energy of this being a moment of celebration, um, kind of helped Mort to learn that this family really had come a fairly long way from when we were just starting out to where we are now. And that's something that I hope it was able to teach everyone else. And uh, I think I can, again, being generous, uh, cross off the same thing as uh, Eric did with share a painful truth about yourself to the wizard. Um, and I think Asha really learned about found family through this that like a lot of people have negative um associations with things like meals that are supposed to be you know a positive thing in the you know social uh what we're the social narrative but um they but that you can make your own positive memories with with people and this really was a positive memory for them Amazing. So we only have one small game left uh, in Act 1 before we are going to um, move into our Act 1 climax. Um, and that game is a game for just the wizard and the curse, and it is called, excuse me, Budding Romance. So, Budding Romance, you've never been alone for so long that you've convinced your, sorry, you've been alone for so long you've convinced yourself you never wanted romance. How does something unexpected make you realize that maybe you do want something more after all? So this game is for the wizard and the cursed. The rest of the family is either not present or is completely occupied with something else. Um, so uh, we've already said that this is happening right after um, Callus's birthday dinner. Um, I don't know what context, but maybe the two of you are cleaning up or maybe something else is happening, but um, Mort, Kellis, and Bessieth are otherwise occupied. <clears throat> so um, let's actually start by defining uh, why that is. What what are the two of you? Are you in a separate space, or are you you know in the same space, but we're paying attention to something different? What's going on? 
I like the idea of of us being in sort of like the kitchen space and uh you know maybe uh storing the food that pyre prepared or things after the party the actual like edible food for the rest of us at least um because it it sort of builds on that like intimate ish time of preparing the food. yeah i like that i mean yeah and i think that explains what, like i feel like uh Kelsia went to bed because you know, worn out from birthday. I feel like Bessie is probably still trying to understand cake. And so it's just is contemplating. Uh, and I will say like a side note that I think there was one day after the, the lot, the common room incident that Bessie walked out to like the small balcony and realized that the balcony was bigger, but like, it's never been acknowledged in any way. <laughs> it just happened. And like that's their relationship. Like that's yes, that's it. They never acknowledge anything, but things will change. Like just yeah. ever's like, I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> and you think like you even think like a few windows look a little bit bigger, but like you can't, you're not sure, but they might be. I love the uh, idea of Pyre just like looking at a window and it getting like half an inch bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um Awesome. So the two of you are in the kitchen. So this is one where um, if both of you are able to look at uh, page 18 in the play materials. Um, so how this works is uh, one of you will go first and then you will take turns uh, asking questions for the other player to answer. And each player uh, should ask two. Um, and when you're picking questions, um, you should not pick the same question twice uh or rather so pyre you must choose two different questions and asha you must choose two different questions but if you have to happen to choose a question that the other person has asked that is okay okay um so yeah the questions are under uh the subheading uh an unexpected spark there's six of them and uh one of you can take it away. Um, I can do the. I can do a first one. So I'll do the. So I think like as we're putting things away, um, and obviously like half of the stuff that I'm putting away, I'm using magic to do it, and it's like fancy, flashy magic. So like for no reason in particular, there's like sparks and lights. Like it's like Jubilee meets Jean Grey, where it's like. <laughs> I'm moving things a little bit with my what looks like my mind, but like it's sparklers coming off of it because it's, you know, I just, just what I do. It's it's nothing honestly, um, but like there are a couple things that like I'm more carefully putting away because they're maybe more fragile or they're more meaningful, and I I'm like I'm like walk all the way to the other side of the room to do something, and I like look back, um, and our eyes meet. Do you look for me after I look away? Yeah, so when our eyes meet, Asha immediately is like, it gets that sort of like immediate flush and and red cheeks of like, oh my. Um, But then definitely looks at you after she knows you're looking away. 
Um, and then I think also because we're moving around and um, there's a lot of sparks flying, literally, uh, <laughs> um, I trip and fall against you and you catch me. What do you say? Um, I think it's just, I think it's Pyre is most of the time very, very, very verbose, um, as we know. Um, as some people know more better than others, even. And I think when when that happens, it's very simple and he and they just lean a little bit and go, I got you. And then kind of help you back up, which I think is gonna segue right into mine, which is I'm gonna I'm gonna compliment like you as a whole person. I'm gonna say, like, I there is truly a beauty in who you are and a beauty in, you know, I know that you view yourself as being cursed and I've, I just want you to know, I have never seen you in that way. And I think that you being you is magnificent. And so it's, it's the complimenting you in a way that goes against how you're used to thinking of yourself. Do you try to argue or grow embarrassed and change the subject? Yeah, so Asha sort of uh, says, oh, you're just saying that, no, I'm, I'm nothing, nothing special. Um, no, you're, you're the one who, who is really um, the, the magnificent uh, person. And like, as I'm like turning to kind of like go back to like putting more dishes away, I like look directly at you and like, Give you this look of like, do you know me? I don't just compliment for no reason. And I wouldn't compliment if it wasn't truth that was coming out of my mouth. Like for me, that is as much as Vesieth cannot lie to me. I do not. Uh, I do not in ways I don't mean say nice things to people. Basically, my very elaborate way of going, take the compliments. Um, which I think leads, uh, me to the next, uh, question, which is, I sort of return the compliment to you, but you think I'm making fun of you in, in re response to what you were just saying. Um, but I'm completely earnest. What, what am I complimenting you on? Um. I think it's the, I think it's the comp, like, the, I think you've said it, you talked about it before. I think it's like the confidence that Pyre just has with everything. Because I feel like I probably caught you and I was still casting my spells and doing my thing. Like, the dishes didn't drop when I caught you. um, And like that effortlessness way that Pyre seems to walk through the world. And for whatever reason, they just read it as like a little bit of a joke or a little bit of a dig um, because their defenses are just always up, um, especially living with Vatsyeth. Like it's just always defenses up because I've got a demon who can't lie to me and says things purposefully that are mean, <laughs> but truthful. 
Um, yeah, and and to to be fair, Asha did say it in what sounded kind of like a joking manner, but is being a hundred percent sincere. And so, how do you react when I convince you that I was in fact serious? That, um, you know, I do really admire your ability to be sure of yourself and your opinions and what you're saying all of the time. I think at that moment, like after the interplay back and forth, like when you when the compliment happens and then when when Pyre realizes that it's it's for real, like it was a real compliment. I think Pyre just it's a thing where they're standing there looking at you and you can like almost visibly see all the wheels in their head clicking together and like turning. And then they don't shut down, but it just gets very like. I do not know how to process emotions like this right now. <laughs> I'm putting dishes away. And like, the, I think confused. for the very first time you see Pyre not be the most confident person in the room. And like, everything still is moving around and they're putting things away and they're doing things, but it's very like Pyre taking a deep breath and like looking down like, Oh goodness, this crock pot definitely needs to go over here. Let me just set this down. Okay. And the dishes. Oh, I've put this stack of bowls in the wrong spot. They should be at least a foot over. Because if I don't, then Vesieth is obviously going to just knock them with their wind arms when they come. I, everything needs to be perfectly aligned. Yes, 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 that is perfect. And yeah. at, at, at which point, um, Asha sort of picks up on this and uncharacteristically sort of takes the lead here and is, is uh, starts helping you sort of put maybe some of the bulkier items um, places and is, uh, is uh, you know, being a little more physically close to you than she ever normally would. And... You, if you're observant, which you probably are in this moment, given everything <laughs> that's going on, you may notice that their hands look a little, little less armadillo-like at the moment as they're sort of being purposefully close to you and and putting things away with you. I think. I guess I don't know. That's two each, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how does the interlude end? And how do you both act when the moment is over? I feel like for me, I think the way, at least the way that I see it is like, ev like everything's put away and Pyre kind of just stops and like looks around <laughs> and does the like, I, uh, I have things that I, I uh, the, the books need some, like, makes up, like, the most, like, oddity excuse of, like, oh, yes, on to the next thing. Um, but, like, with, like, a slight blush being, like, I'm gonna go now. And, like, it doesn't leave in, like, a way that is, like, repulsed by anything that has happened, but very much in a way that, like, is just flustered. Yeah, and, and Asha sort of, like, seeing them make up this excuse and go is, is just sitting there sort of 
surprised at herself for uh, what has happened. And it's just thinking, huh, where did that come from? Uh, all right, and one final question for both of you. Um, two parts. Uh, what detail or moment from this conversation do you find yourself thinking about for the next few days? And how do you convince yourself that this is an impossible attraction and attempt to bury those feelings? I think the spot that probably sticks with higher is Asha's response to the compliment and like the idea that I don't think they ever realize that Asha doesn't see themselves the way that Pyre sees them and and then how does uh, Pyre convince themselves that it's an impossible task and uh, put their feel if Pyre's good at something it is compartmentalization and so we just stick those straight down off to the side up a few notches um because obviously uh obviously pyre is too much for any one person <laughs> and there is no way that asha would have those feelings because pyre knows themselves well enough to know that they are way too much all the time and would be terrible in a relationship and conversely, um, Asha is sitting there thinking about um, sort of the same moment um, and thinking there's, you know, despite what they know about Hire and that Hire is always certain of what they're saying, believes that there's there's no possible way that they could have meant that and that... Um, they were just saying something nice uh, and there's, there's no possible way that anyone could ever want uh, her as a person, let alone as a person armadillo. And that's budding romance. Um, did either of you hit any marks? <clears throat> yes. I only have one left, and that's the, like, unleash all of my power and show off the fact that I am demonic, which I was kind of pseudo-saving for whatever the end of Act 1 is, because that feels like a good moment for it. Yep, it is. And I haven't really, I've really been in any spaces where it feels like letting loose fully magically is appropriate just yet. Um, I, however, did cross off both of my remaining ones where I refused to hear a good truth about myself and revealed my true form to the wizard without being aware of it. Um, so that, yeah, that, that was a very fruitful scene. Amazing. All right. So now we are moving into the act one climax and here is where we do uh, a little, uh, yes. So there's there's a lot of games in Act 1. There's like almost twice as many as there are in Act 2. So normally we would be uh, in a full campaign like establishing a lot of hints of the, the enemy is closing in on us. But um, I, you know, at this point, uh, we're, we're basically going to say that um, I think over the, the coming days, you know, more in its roaming 
through the wilds and, you know, um, Vesiath in, you know, uh, steering the home around, like, we just become aware that, um, uh, the enemy is getting, you know, the Pontifex, uh, Pontifex Kevin is getting more serious about, um, hunting, uh, down Pyre and, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, forces in the distance more and more often, and that distance is steadily decreasing as they're kind of narrowing in on the area that we typically wander around in. So, um, uh, thus it is, uh, the enemy has caught our scent. Uh, the, the wizard can't keep running forever. We need to buy ourselves some space by confronting the enemy on their turf. Um, what do you do? How do you all work together? And uh, when you narrowly escape the enemy's clutches, what does it cost you? So this game is for everybody. Um, and uh, if anyone has not crossed off uh, their starred mark for Act 1, uh, you will need to incorporate it into this round of scenes. Um, so uh, first, we'll, we need to just kind of figure out as a group, um, why are we deciding to confront the enemy directly? What are we hoping to accomplish? Um, and whose idea is it to confront the enemy? Is the wizard enthusiastic about the idea or reluctant? Um, and if reluctant, what persuades them to go along with the plan? And during this game, um, the demon will play the enemy. Oh, right, because if we're going to go confront them somewhere, the demon can't actually join us because... Oh, I'm back at home. Because you're stuck. True. Yes. <laughs> um... um yeah, was, so oh go ahead. No, I was I think I was gonna ask what you were about to say, so go ahead. I feel like given how I've been playing Pyre, I feel like it's Pyre's idea to go after Kevin because I mean it's Kevin. Obviously, we have to go get Kevin. He's he's becoming or they're becoming a bit much. Like it's just and especially if I know that Kevin is trying to get after Vesieth and like the contract like I would never allow that to happen so I think I think it's me that's like someone said they saw Kevin nope rally it we're, we're doing this I've got big magic Kevin and, does and not Pyre is very like it is is Pyre going into this expecting a fight or are they hoping that they can talk Kevin down? I think the way that Pyre will approach this is they're not, they're hoping they don't have to get to a fight, but they're hoping to make it look like they're ready to. So like go in and make a giant scene and really make a big show of power that lets Kevin know like because his name because their name is Kevin, I'm like, bro, like you gotta you gotta back down. <laughs> like this isn't it, Kevin. Uh okay. Um, so we're gonna play through uh some prompts. Um after we play out these prompts, uh there will be three short prompts. Uh we're just going to uh <laughs> this is some of the only die rolling in the entire game. Uh, we're just going to roll 2d6 with, you know, standard apocalypse world definitions of uh, success. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, 1 to 6 failure, 7 to 9 partial success, 10 plus total success. Um, 
and that just determines how that part of it went. Um, and uh, if something goes completely or partially wrong, um, then that complication is narrated by a player um, not in the scene, and then play immediately goes to the next prompt. Um, so uh, starting with uh, going to the enemy's place of power. Um, so Pyre is just like, we have to go confront Kevin. Is that is that what they <laughs> they bring to the family? I think, I mean, yes. I think that's how, I think that's, I mean, we've seen how Pyre interacts with people in their own household. So I feel like that doesn't shock anyone when they're like, it's Kevin. Like, we, we if we don't, like, they're just going to keep coming after us. Like, they're going to keep getting closer and closer. And I'd rather just go deal with it head on. It's important uh, to establish dominance. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, great. Uh, Callus emphatically wants to go and does not understand why they are not allowed. Um, so the cursed and the wizards uh, are going to the enemy's power, uh, place of power to confront them. Does the monster go with them? Or... I feel like I feel like maybe one of the reasons why the family knows where Kevin is going to be is because maybe there were there were hints, there were clues, there were some things that were off about the wild that kind of led Mort to believe that there were threats to the family's safety and brought that back to tell Pyre. And that was kind of what sparked the you know, Kevin's getting closer. There are all of these things that are starting to rile themselves up about their forces and things like that. And this is this is go time. So if it's using the wilds to the family's advantage to get to Kevin, I feel like Mort would go along. Okay. Awesome. So then... Um... Is there, um, is Mort being purely motivated by altruism in this situation? Or is there maybe, like, some additional selfish motivation that Mort keeps to itself? I think it's more along the lines of here is an opportunity to contribute to something. And it's that that borderline selfish view of like, I want to do something. I want to be the one to provide this. Um, but at the same time, knowing the significance of Kevin's interference and the danger that it poses everybody. So also going as a sign of, I would like to help keep the family safe. So a bit of okay. both. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so uh, for the three of you, um, what precautions do you all take to ensure you arrive safely? Um, for example, do you wear disguises? Um, do you, uh, or, you know, do you uh, come up with a way to travel secretly or, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, uh, Asha asks Pyre for a like hooded shawl or something to uh, that could be made big enough to kind of hide the armadillo shell and claws um, while they travel so that they're less conspicuous. Maybe it's like a cloak that has like some minor illusions on it. So no matter what way you're facing, like your face is always in shadow. Yeah. And that I don't appear as like, like I have a giant something on my back, but perhaps a more normally humanoid um, silhouette underneath. <laughs> I like that. Like, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like a, like a kind of what you said, Ash, like a minor illusion cloak, but it's maybe a minor illusion that gives you like just a general silhouette of whatever you want. Um, yeah, awesome. Uh, are there, is there anything else or are you just like, Pyre, you just walking right up to the front door? I mean, I don't feel like Pyre is good at taking precaution. <laughs> it's not in their nature. That's fair. That's very Pyre, fair. Pyre is the Leroy Jenkins of this world. <laughs> and Everyone. partnered with a literal flighty demon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, we have to orchestrate, and we get the cloak, and we're gonna, we're gonna take this. And Pyre's like, I'm just in this direction. Um, great. So uh, I'm gonna say, um, you know, describe what it looks like. I mean, um, more. It sounds like what you're kind of describing is that they, maybe they've set up some kind of like temporary HQ out here in the wilds, like a like a base camp that the enemy is operating from. Is that yeah, it could be that. It could be it saw Kevin on some, like, flying contraption going past where it's, like, maybe maybe they operate out of an airship or something like that. And the airship has landed nearby, and Mort traced it from seeing it to where it eventually landed. So it was like, if we want to take this opportunity, we have to do it now kind of thing. That's dope. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Pyre, um, how, what extremely extra way do the three of you just roll up on this airship? Um, I think when we get close to the airship and we can see it, <laughs> um, I feel like it's, it's going to be because I've got X-Men on the brain because I just did a recording yesterday that was an X-Men inspired game. And so I think what it's going to be, I really like the Jubilee vibes that I've got going for myself. So I think it's the, the dramatic entrance is going to be a like Jubilee Magneto kind of combo where like I do the floaty thing because I can, you know, lift myself up in the air very dramatically with all these sparks kind of flying. It almost looks like a bubble. Um, maybe I'm very like uh, Glinda the Good Witch, but like even more extra with my bubble. <laughs> And, like, I just, like, lower all three of us, like, right on the the deck of the airship right in front of Kevin in his very, in their very drab, um, clean cut. <sighs> like, I see it and I just, like, cringe a little bit at it. Like, you used to have style. 
And uh, Kevin, uh, take it, take it away. Feel free to be in the scene. What, yeah, no, and I think they're kind of there. I think there's kind of like a war table almost. You see that it's like tracking of like the movement of the house as like they lose it for times and it like comes back onto their radar. They've been like trying to follow the movement path. And I think there's probably some like assorted advisors like around or flanking them. And oh, they- yeah. And- most of them have these horrible like walrusy mustaches it's very like you know (laughs) and i think they they see the whole like spectacle coming in and there's just kind of a moment of like ah fire truly few things change fire just goes I know, and like kind of waves their hand, and the whole war table just like flies off to the side. There's like a twitch. They're like <laughs> keeping their jaw very much like clenched down. I mean, if you're going to save us the time and come straight to us, I'm happy to take it, but I'm sure you came here for some petty reason. Is it petty if you're spending all of your time and energy tracking me across every waking part of this land? It's not my fault you don't, the one time in your life you don't have enough ambition to think big is when you make a significant magical discovery. I I think there's a little bit of like, you can feel like everyone can kind of see a little bit of like just the magic like radiating off of Pyre a little bit because it's that mix of like the anger that's settling in of seeing Kev. We're going to call them Kev. Seeing Kev and just like all of that animosity. It's been just like, again, compartmentalized. We've opened that little box right now and it is just like spilling out. Um, and so- oh, go ahead. Sorry, I before before we get back to this, I, I just want to say so Asha and Mort, um, literally no one is paying attention to you. Um, do you what? So like, Pyre is is being extremely extra, and all eyes are on them. So, uh, what are the two of you uh, up to right now? Like, this is a golden opportunity to sneak into the airship if that's what you want to do. Tempting. There are probably delicious rocks in there for you. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Definitely cool treasure. Oh, boy. But at the same time, I don't think Mort would want to leave the other two to what because I don't think Mort knows the extent of Kev's magic. So it's one of those things where it's just a watch and wait and if things get dicey. Just guns blazing as much as Mort can blaze, which is probably just running full force, flailing its arms around. But it's just like a, a precaution of if things go bad. For sure. There's somebody ready to jump. Um, so is Asha sticking with Pyre as well then? Yeah, Asha so Asha's main concern is Pyre. Like 
they think that this plan is foolhardy and <laughs> not thought through at all for someone who reads so much. Um, and so they're they're like, I need to be here to make sure that Pyre doesn't get themselves into situations that they can't get themselves out of. Like that mouth is gonna go off and I need to be able to stop it. <laughs> Great. Great. Love that. So, uh, with that said, Pyre, how does that mouth go off and cause trouble? <laughs> yeah. I think when when Kevin challenges the idea that Pyre doesn't think big enough, doesn't do big enough, doesn't doesn't go big enough, um, I think that's when, like, and this is probably the first time that, like, anyone has truly ever seen, at least anyone who's there, so Mort and Asha, have ever seen Pyre just, like, fully let it all out. And I think in like this brilliant shining light kind of comes out of Pyre. You see them kind of move their hands around, like they're, you know, muttering some incantations. And just like every single walrus mustache man that's on this deck is just like knocked backwards. Um, and it doesn't look like the light is the thing that like Bush kind of knocks them all back, but like there's just like a force that comes out of Pyre. And this is the first time you can see um, kind of the glowing cape and whatnot that he, that they normally are wearing. You can kind of see on the skin, probably on their face, neck, and maybe some of their hands that are sticking out, like this beautiful etched glow um, that probably, I would say probably like if you're putting it to like a specific looking language, like probably closest to the, to the uh, sweater that Ash is knitting right now, which is the, like has more of that like Tolkien vibe of like the elf or the elvish and and what like just very scripty, very beautiful, um, and that's like you see that glowing all over any visible skin, um, and obviously Pyre is floating when all this happens because why wouldn't Pyre be floating? Um, yeah, obviously. Uh, so please go ahead and uh, roll two d six for me because this yep. this seems like <laughs> this we... seems like something that's worth dice. Yeah. Uh, so I rolled an eight, and I think I get to add bonuses, right? Uh, for if I'm reading it for yes, taking the you can you can add uh for each of up to plus three for each of your um marks that you've hit in act one yeah and i hit i hit three of them prior to this so that's uh, an 11 amazing okay um uh yeah so uh it goes probably surprisingly for asha and mort uh exactly the way that you want it to um the 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 walrus mustache men are completely blown over and um uh kevin doesn't really look as if there's much that he can do about that um so we're gonna um flash over to uh the home so securing the home against attack while the cursed confronts the enemy directly um the demon will use the distraction to secure the home against attack um Whoever stayed behind me will assist. Um, so, uh, Vesiath, 
Um, we're making some. We're we're making some new defenses for the home. Um, with mostly your own power, and Callus can be a pair of hands, but uh, they are hopeless at like anything that is not improvised. So I don't know how much actual assistance <laughs> they will be. Uh, but uh, boy, are they enthusiastic. <laughs> I think they're probably trying to, I think in this moment, it's like they're protecting the home, but I think it's also, they they have come to, like, care for this child, and so they're like, okay, it is important that I, like, in, like infest the importance of survival and, like, preparation into them. So I think as they're going around, like, building new kind of spell servants in this, like, scripted language, um, they're having you, like, pour power into them, so you're not necessarily having to make the inscriptions, but you can, like, feel what it feels like, and, like, Okay. You know how to like operate them if you need to, and just with the emphasis of like, you shouldn't have to, but if you do, this is how you do it. Yeah, and elemental magic is one of the things that um, Kellis is good at. Um, <laughs> you know that kind of um, just manipulating energy without like doing a spell about it. Um, so I, I think they do uh, they do pick it up pretty quickly. Um. So is it like creating a bunch of spell servants? Is there anything else? Um... Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it is just like, you know, um, I think they maybe have them do a little bit of stuff around like they, they put things to like lay around the perimeter and they're like keeping an eye out um, as we're like preparing for things to come. And so, because they can't necessarily leave the house and so they don't have them, you know, drop a few things while we're waiting for folks to come of like tripwires alerts warning makes sense um okay so you're taking the lead here so it definitely seems like you should be the one to uh, go ahead and roll here um so same as pyre you can add a uh, plus one for each of your i learns um up to plus three okay i got a six um and i think plus three takes me to a nine which is good um failure would not be great um, so it mostly works, uh, but it also causes um, a minor complication. So, uh, Mort, why don't you why don't you hit us with what? Uh, like, it doesn't work quite as intended, but it mostly works. What does that look like? Um, I feel like the su- the success aspect of it would be that the home would be properly prepared and the surrounding area where the home is would be prepared um traps would be set things would be uh i guess the little magical helpers would be in their respective positions and would be going about their business um but i think the complication would be that in setting up the traps at least the ones within the house uh it causes some kind of damage to the home so maybe if you're using any kind of you know tripwire alarm um magical spell that would go off when anything was triggered uh in setting those things up parts of the house had to be rearranged or things had to be broken like spots on walls or 
the floor was scuffed or the door had to be latched a certain way and it would take significant effort to fix and repair the things that had to be damaged in order for the house to be protected but it's not impossible it's just currently the house has to be modified in order to be safe yeah and i could see that and maybe there's like um you know several like Vesiath maybe needed cross currents of air running through the house in order to be able to protect it. And so we smashed out, um, like, uh, windows on each wall, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and and that kind of stuff. But some, like, impactful and sentimental damage to the house as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but no, Kellis would be uh, enthusiastic. Like, I can help with that. Smashing things. For sure. Um, all right. And uh, prompt number three, um, the trap is sprung. Um, so Pyre, uh, whatever your hopes for the confrontation, um, Pontifex Kevin was prepared for something like this. Um, so uh, the enemy tries to take the cursed hostage uh, but is stopped by the wizard in a dramatic show of power. Um, so uh, I'm going to turn this over to um, our Pontifex first. So like, you saw this coming and were prepared and are fully prepared to just be like, oh, I'm going to take this thing that you clearly care about a lot. What does that look like? Um, I was thinking about what their magic looked like, and I think it's very, I think, I'm thinking ice is <laughs> what I'm thinking, so I'm thinking, like, they've been, since you came in, they're like, okay, they're gonna do something big, they've got these other two people with them, so clearly they're important, and so going for just having been prepping, like, freezing magic, basically, that can entrap somebody, but also is, like, while frustrated that your show of power is like knockbacks men is like clearly fascinated to like see the script fully activating on you and like the extent of it and like it, and at the same time as there's some concern there's also some like oh this is the real thing but so there as there's i think there's just kind of like a very focused grin and then suddenly there's just like ice around the ankles of the um of the cursed um, and is it one of those situations where it starts around the ankles and it's just kind of, kind of like creeping upward? Up. Yeah. 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 Um, love that. Uh, so yeah, wizard. Um, I mean, obviously you are not having this. Yeah, no, 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 no. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Which was how many times I could say Kevin in a row. Um, I mean, so I, obviously I see the ice around Asha, um, and I, I think I want to look at Mort and be like, Mort, I need a distraction and I need it right now. Um, Mort just gives a salute. And starts running full force towards Kevin. 
I think there's a moment where Kevin is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I think Mort probably has some kind of satchel on it and starts like taking out fistfuls of dirt and pebbles and rocks and just starts throwing them at Kevin as it's running. That's probably all Mort knows how to do at this point. But I think something. there's a moment where Kevin looks up and goes like, it doesn't work if you say it out loud. And at that moment, there's like a clod of dirt that just hits their <laughs> like open mouth as they're talking. And it's kind of like, make it distracted for a second. Like, <laughs> and I think that's why, that's why Pyre would have done it because Pyre would know that Kevin is ready for magic. Mm-hmm. And that just telling Mort to just go wild is not something Kevin would be prepared for. Yes, you're ready for magic, so I brought a weird goblin. <laughs> I brought our Mort. They keep like Avengers, all like weird strays instead of just, doing anything useful with their power. Just a little guy. <laughs> all I can think of is the Avengers when they're like, I've got an army, and they're like, we've got a Hulk. Except ours is we've got a Mort. (laughs) (laughs) And I think at that moment when Mort kind of kicks off and starts running toward Kevin, I, in, you know, in a, the most dramatic fashion that I can, you want to try and ice one of my people. I will set things aflame. And so I would use like a fire magic and I think I want to blast it straight down so it kind of melts the fire or the ice off of Asha and I can kind of grab them and kind of keep basically what like using the fire to propel us upwards while then burning out the airship and getting Mort to jump on as well but like just and it is every ounce of magic that I have available to me I am going Full letting loose the you can see the the glowing of the scar the of the contract you can like see it starting to like actually sear into my skin on different spots um because i'm going so hard all at once i feel like that's a good spot that you're gonna tell me to roll uh, it absolutely is <laughs> that is a nine, and I think I get the plus three, so that's a twelve. <laughs> okay. Uh, I never roll well in games. This is my moment. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's pretty decisive. Um. So, uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that the consequences is is it just it goes exactly um, it, everything happens exactly as described. Mort, I'm very curious. What what do you do to Kevin when you actually like get over to them? Like, like you know, as you're running, you're like throwing dirt. Is is this like? Are you? Do you tackle Kevin? Do you do you, do you is, gnaw on their ankle? <laughs> no, I feel like okay. I feel like the dirt and the pebbles are more of a distraction to get Kevin confused. And in the midst of the confusion, Mort will probably pick up <laughs> one of the chairs that was around the war table and just kind of WWE hit 
Kevin with a chair. <laughs> Amazing. 10 out of 10, no notes. So Pyra's <laughs> doing this super dramatic, like, fire magic, you know, freeing Asha and, like, uh, and, and, and Mort is just like, it's cool, I've got a chair. <laughs> yep. It's, it's right there. Might as well use it. Uh, I love that. Okay, so, uh, this is when, uh, it is time for a daring escape. Um, so, uh, we, we basically didn't have any failures, uh, and... <laughs> So, um, everything that happened pretty much went according to plan, shockingly, given that there was no real plan. Um, <laughs> Pyre, given the entire lack of plan, how did you know what the enemy, what, what Kevin was going to do? Um, and like, yeah, how, how were, how were, how How were you able to just like know how everything was going to go and be so prepared that everything goes exactly the way you want it to? Because I really believe in the lovers to enemies trope. <laughs> <laughs> and so obviously Kevin and I have a complicated past and I know them better than they know themselves. Oh my god. And if they if they've learned nothing is that they they don't change. Well, so especially course, because they refuse to go to therapy. Right. They're not going to therapy. They have not sought any any assistance with anything. They would not take my fashion advice. It's fine. But they're very they have they I know that they always have a very methodical plan and would try and be like, oh, they're gonna come in with some fire. I've got some <laughs> ice in my back pocket. And I was like, all right, we'll just like double it. It's fine. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, and, and this is a question for the three, uh, for the three of you, um, Asha and Mort, uh, feel free to throw this out if you have uh, any ideas. Um, especially because Pyro was very much the distraction in this situation. What do you steal from Kevin as you escape? I think we take Kevin's Asha sees that Kevin had a like albino rabbit like sitting on the war table and it just didn't seem very happy and so in the kerfuffle once Asha is free uh, they grab the rabbit on the way out <laughs> uh, amazing uh, Mort, is there is there anything that you take the opportunity to steal, or, or are you just piecing out? Ooh, I'm taking all of Kevin's fun little uh, military badges, and all of the nice little shiny awards and ribbons that Kevin has been awarded for doing something. I don't know. But they're mine now, and uh, they're going right in the bag with the dirt and the rocks. 
Um, can I also suggest that there were like little figurines that were made to represent like the home and pyre on the table? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. There's there there probably like a whole little collection of miniatures <laughs> that look like us and our house, and I'm scooping them as well because those are gonna look really nice on the mantle. It's for war reasons. It's a totally normal hobby. <laughs> And what I love is that there probably are different looking houses based on people reporting what they saw. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're ours now. They belong to us. Uh, All right. Um, So once the escape is made, um, the wizard uh, is creates a distraction so that uh, the cursed and the monster uh, can get back. Um, Yeah. Pyre, uh, I mean, I is is the distraction just more fire? I mean, oh yeah, the distraction is I set the airship on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that there's definitely like a Hindenburg type situation, but like with enough time for like everyone to like get to a safe distance. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. So, uh, Vesieth. Um, uh, the two of us back at home, uh, we come to, uh, we come to pick up the cursed and, uh, and the monster before, uh, escaping, uh, back into the wilds. Um, Vesiath, how do you care for, uh, how do you care for Asha in particular, um, in the aftermath of this confrontation? Um, as Pyre is, you know, going and being distracting in a different direction to uh, provide that safety for Asha. Um, I think if they if they seem okay with it, I think if they're still obviously dealing with like the ice having recently come off of them and also like literally running away from a burning blimp, I think kind of like lifting them up, carrying into like their space, like talking them into their bed and sort of being like, you know, it's important for you to regain your temperature equilibrium um, and sort of like not sort of replicating caring things they've seen perhaps like Pyre do like to like the child when they're sick and like just trying to be like okay I know that this is a physical injury thing so how do we make it better and get them mm-hmm. back to functioning and okay. And Asha who would normally deny any bit of help um, is just kind of so overwhelmed with things that they're, they're just like, oh, 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 thank you, while clutching this albino rabbit and just petting it over and over and over again. <laughs> it's like, stuff just sort of keeps getting levitated into the bed around you. Like, there's, like, a cup of tea on, like, a side table, and then there's, like, a carrot for the rabbit coming in, and, like, this stuff's kind of like dashing into the room from around the house and like adjusting the blankets and I love it. Um, I was gonna say I'm curious with all the the stuff that happened outside that we kind of brought back to the house. Would Kellis be curious to see if anybody was injured? Oh my god, yes, big ass yeah. fireball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they are like so upset when like. Uh, you know, like, so Vesiath is, like, caring for Asha, and they're, like, so upset, so, like, half of, like, 
they're they're just like they, they make a second cup of tea and they're they're just like really they're like where's pyre and you know yeah they're yeah, I, they're pretty anxious yeah i was gonna say that like if kellis was the kind of person that would want to be right next to them both at like the same time i feel like more would probably against kellis's wishes would like pick them up and just continually like move them out of the room like give them space to to rest like get out <laughs> stop going in there kind of like you know if there's a plate of food out and the cat just keeps wanting to get at the food it's just like no stop don't no, <laughs> stop going back there like you need to i like i know you want them to be okay but you gotta give them some space so they can rest first but just constantly carrying this child down the hallway (laughs) like get out of there stop (laughs) that is 100 percent what keeps happening uh i think you have to do it like five or six times oh yeah um uh amazing and lastly uh for the wizard um what kind of shape are you in when you make it home? Um, and uh, given that your demonic form was very much revealed, uh, do you say anything about it? Or do you just pretend that it never happened? Um, I mean, I'm definitely going back, like, I mean, like, I wouldn't say I'm going back, like, rough for wear, because, like, I won. But I think I'm definitely coming back, like, exhausted and drained and I am absolutely not talking about the fact that there is weird script markings on various parts of my body um, that were not there uh, two hours ago. And cool. partly, I may not realize, like, on some of the spots, I may not realize, like, that they're visible. If I haven't, I mean, my hands, I guess I would notice if there was a couple, um, but, like, certain parts of my face, I may not realize that they're even there. Mm-hmm. Um. So, do you like try and sneak in, or are you, you know, like, okay, yes, I'm here. Like, oh, when I get uh, when I come back to the to the home, like, I think I would just walk in and act like everything, like, I accomplished what I set out to accomplish, and I did so very well. Mm-hmm. Um, set an entire airship on fire. Normal day. Um, I think like. I, like, I wouldn't come in and fully be like, oh, nothing is different, nothing has changed, but I don't think I would, like, try and hide what happened, because we that was what we kind of set out to do. Right. Um, and I think that Kellis would come up and give you, like, a very big hug. Mm-hmm. Which I think is probably unusual for the two of us. Um, feel like that doesn't happen often and i think the thing that's like that would be different this time is that i don't i may not give like a big hug back but i don't push kellis off like i normally do sometimes when i come home and they're like oh you've been gone Mm -hmm. i'm like yes yes please go back and like please go back to studying you need to study um yeah like i just let kellis hold on to me for a moment before they finally let go and then kind of go about our day um and i think the next thing they do is they they take your hand and they take you around the home and they show you all the stuff that Vesiath put together um yeah and they're like 
apologetic about like the it's like a mixture of, of like excited apology like they're like <laughs> Vesieth told me to broke a window break a window uh you know that kind of thing um but also like knowing that it's like damaging the home as well right so yeah I think like I see things and like you like you probably are watching me kind of take stock of like okay, I could fix that with a couple spells. I could fix this with, like, this will take a little bit more work, but I think we can get, like, and I'm probably saying it out loud a little bit, too, of, like, just my nature of, like, oh, we could fix this. This is minimal damage. Minimal damage. That window's been broken before. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is uh, the end of Act One. Uh, so, Marks. I mean, I finally got my fourth mark. You did. I let I, I, I Lucy Laduca let loose. <laughs> oh my god! Finally managed to figure out how to get those last two in there. But great, we're good. Uh, and and we don't necessarily have to do I learned for these because that wasn't that kind of scene. But but what were the marks? Um, offer advice about an outside threat and be rude to someone expressing concern. Um, awesome. And yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, in the spirit of being generous with myself, including everyone else, uh, I lifted everyone's spirits by turning something, um, awful into a game, uh, aka (laughs) the protections for the house, getting to be like, I got to break a window. (laughs) (laughs) I threw a baseball. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think Vesiath was certainly relieved that you were like treating it as a fun thing and not as a, oh God, my house is maybe going to be attacked thing. Yeah. Um, Did anyone else hit any marks? I already had all mine done before this scene. (laughs) Great. Love that. To, I think to wrap us up, we'll do the thing that we always do, which is uh, we'll do a round of if you'd like to be found on the internet, where can people find you? Um, so we'll just go around as people are on the screen. So we'll start with Dakota. Um, and everything will be in show notes, including links to buying this game and everything else. So, uh, But where can people find you, Dakota? Yeah, so everyone can find me on um Various social media, most of the major ones at this point, at Vision in Lilac. Um, And I hope you drop by uh, maybe a stream on Twitch or something. Jason, where can people find you? Oh, boy. Um, You can find me on most social medias with uh, at J underscore Sun, S-O-N, Laroc, L-A-R-O-C-K, because I'm original. My branding is just my name. <laughs> uh, and MT, where can people find you? You can find me on social media at MT underscore H-A-R-T underscore. That's heart like the wrestler, not like the organ. Um, and if you're in Boston, come check out a drag show. And Ash, where can people find you? Um, you know, uh, I'm less on social media since the whatever is, has happened to Twitter, but uh, you can find me on Tumblr, uh, Wonder Geek, W-U-N-D-E-R Geek. 
www.tumblr.com. Uh, um, I'm also Ash the Stampede on Mastodon. Um, uh, uh, and uh, my website is uh, peach, uh, like the fruit, pants, like the garment, press.com. Uh, and that's where you can find links to all of my uh, various games. Um, and uh, the Indie Press Revolution still has lots of physical copies if you want to pick one up. Um, my illustrator, Claudia Cangini, uh, absolutely crushed it with illustrations for this book. So, yeah. So there, good. Yeah. yeah. No one can see them, but like as I was scrolling, they're like, these are delightful. They're really um, fun. Even just all the character sheet, like yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. the the full the full page illustrations in the book honestly are incredible. I love them so much. So, um, it's it's very much worth picking up a copy. Uh, and then, as always, you can find the queer experience at the queer XP on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Blue Sky. If there's a social media platform, I'm going to try and claim a name for myself on it. It's fine. Um, and then the very quick things that are coming up. So if you're listening to this on a Monday and it's part one, then part two will drop on Thursday. If you're listening to this on Thursday, you've already listened to part one and it's over. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I may not re-edit the outro. It's cool. We'll just cut and paste. I love it. Um, uh, next, the, follow if the following Monday, uh, November 20th, we're playing a game called The Exceptionals, which is a X-Men inspired game written by a queer indigenous uh, game designer. Um, we've actually already recorded it. It was super fucking fun. Um, super crunchy character design, but then very rules light in gameplay itself. So we were pumped to get in there and play that. Um, the next table, the next like panel chat the week after will be a uh, beyond D and D, a discussion of tabletop role play game systems that are not D and D. Um, so we'll talk about some of our favorites and other things that are not the big dragon games. Uh, and then the last thing in November is that Thursday we'll drop our actual first legacy life among the ruins episode. So lots of fun things on that docket, but otherwise please check us all out. Go support anybody who is on today's episode, buy everyone's stuff, send people money. Um, Cause it's trans awareness week and you should Venmo your trans friends money or go donate to trans funds of some sort because money is better than other things. Shout out to the Transgender Emergency Fund, which is an incredible New England nonprofit that provides yeah. direct support to trans people in need. Um, but go find local organizations, go find things, donate money, give people money. Um, and until next time, it's been great. Bye.